off the ball. I don't think Springboks are in crisis because you would hate for a team that is so phenomenally good a year out from the World Cup to be world number one and then to go out in the quarterfinals. Yes, yeah, Stephen, we, we need to subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. And it is a free kick to Ireland. And just on the yellow cards, Jamie Finn has two yellow cards, so if she was to be booked in this, she would miss the trip to Slovakia. Ball sent in very, very deep in the chance, and it's a goal for Ireland! They've had their moment, and it's Lily Ag in her first ever appearance in Dublin for the girls in green. Scores one of the most important goals they have ever scored. The header from 12 yards out, looping over the Finland keeper, and Ireland leads seven minutes into halftime. What a moment for Lily Ag. What a moment for the Republic of Ireland. Nathan and Emma Burnham commentary last night, half past seven. Welcome along to OTBAM. Very good morning to you. Shane Hannan, how are you getting on? Good morning, Adrian. How are things? Kathleen McNamee, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. I can't stop smiling after listening to that. <laughs> incredible moment, an incredible result. And like we're all luxuriating. It feels like we're all celebrating, even the players and the management and coaches on the pitch last night. Felt like we were all kind of celebrating going to the World Cup. There's obviously a bit of a caveat, a very complicated caveat that we'll get into a bit later on. But a, just a big, uh, momentous, Kathleen, historic, incredible event in Tala last night. Yeah, it was incredible. I dashed out from the studio to get over there just in time for the match to kick off after hosting the pre-show with Olivia O'Toole and Emma Byrne. And even like at that stage, there was still a great atmosphere outside. There was a big band playing inside the stadium. There was a great atmosphere, lots happening. And... It, it all went downhill for a while after that because <laughs> yes, it was it such yeah, a yeah. it was such a tense game, and I don't think that's what any of us expected. It wasn't what I expected, um, but somehow made it kind of all the sweeter as well when we did actually manage to pull it off. But I think last night was a sigh of relief for a lot of people in terms of after what happened with Ukraine, what happened with the Euros. I thought last night we were going to fall to all those old demons again and the fact we didn't, the fact that we actually had the resilience to get that 1-0 win, it was ugly but we did it and the Ireland of a couple of years ago wouldn't have done that. So I think especially for players like Denise O'Sullivan and Katie McCabe, you know, last night was their night and it was a testament to all the hard work they've done. Yeah, the playoff situation is incredibly complicated but at least we're putting our hat in the ring this time around and we know we're capable of doing something when we get there. I was travelling the roads yesterday, uh, yesterday evening, and uh, I was uh, tuned into the show to get the best to build up Kathleen that I could like be just fully gemmed up and ready for action come kick off time. And uh, I mean, I have to say, I did leave the show thinking. I mean, I, th- I think we're going to win this four or five nil. There's, you know, we're going to start really positively. We're going to be play high up the pitch. Katie, it's a great team music about Katie. She's going to play exactly where we want her. I couldn't have been more positive. And then, like two or three minutes in, I was like, "Oh shit, this is uh, this uh, yeah. is not, this is not the script." I know. I, I know. None of us expected it. I mean, I was chatting to Karen Duggan and. She was like up in the studio in RT and she had said beforehand, like a nil all draw, she'd be happy with it. And I had been teasing her all week, being like, you know, why are you wanting a nil all draw? And then by the first 15, 20 minutes, I was like, no, Karen, okay, nil all, that's fine. We'll, <laughs> we'll go with that. I'm, I'm happy with it. But I think 
I mean, Finland were a lot stronger than I expected. I think the first half an hour in particular, Ireland were so nervy. And we we were falling into our old patterns. I mean, everyone thought with Katie starting higher up the pitch that we were going to play much more attacking football. But especially in midfield, which is an area that I thought Finland would be really weak, they didn't really give us that opportunity at all. And they silenced Katie and Denise quite a lot in that first half. Um but, I mean, the second half came along and clearly Vera had a few words. We definitely came out a lot more attack-minded. And the thing was, in the first half, that was really frustrating. Every time we did get the ball up towards the goal, we actually looked like we could score, whereas Finland didn't look like that as much, I thought. I was sitting right behind the goal for that first half, so um, kind of had a good bird's-eye view of it all. And it, I... I was disappointed that we didn't do better. I thought this was going to be a great opportunity for us to show how far we've come and that we have multiple goal scorers on the team. But I mean, I I said during the week that it would be the absolute fairy tale story if what we won by was Louise Quinn header, and that was the only goal of the game. And I mean, I wasn't that far off. I did say uh, like a free kick and a header. (laughs) It's a very typical Irish way to win a game. Yeah, and it was. uh, I mean, it just felt because again, like all the chat on this previous show that I was listening to, Shane was like had me so hyped up (laughs) about the lack of quality of this Finland goalkeeper. I was like, just pepper the come on, pepper the goal. It just felt like we could go for it. But the the goal itself, absolute (laughs) quality, wasn't it? Like Ah. the the composure, the skill, the awareness, the bravery, I heard Tony Dunne talking about afterwards, which I thought nailed it in terms of the keeper coming out on top of her. Yeah, and like the Finnish defence kind of went missing in some ways as well. Lily, I kind of even hinted at that in a post-match interview with Nathan yeah. as well. Like, But having said that, she had to be in the right place. Like I was kind of similar t- to yourself, Nathan. I was kind of listening to all the pre-match build-up and thinking, we're going we're gonna to hockey these these. I mean, they lost their manager since we beat them last. Um, clearly, the Finland aren't in, aren't in a good place as a team. But then... You know, I, I had a unique experience of watching the game on TV, and then about ten or fifteen minutes in, I changed from the TV commentary to uh, Nathan and Emma Burns' commentary in the radio. Obviously, there was a slight delay, but it just the words they were using, like there was a lack of physicality with that Irish team in the first half. Yeah, creating chances, but I mean, you were just concerned, and you were thinking Finland could get them on the bounce here and get a goal. Um, so at that stage, and then Lily, I mean, Lily, I changed the game when she came on. It wasn't yeah. just the goal. I mean, she clearly um, was above and beyond every other player on the pitch, and I think she got man of the match maybe officially as well, but um, yeah. and rightly so probably. But the goal itself, I mean, it's hanging in the air for I don't know how long. It was one of those. I remember the Andy Cole loop over the, the Spurs keeper to to win the Premier League for for Man United in nineteen ninety nine. It was one of those where. You're thinking, is this going to hit the crossbar? Is this going to drop in the goal? Um, a bit like Robbie Brady's goal against Italy in, in the Euros. But yeah, what a moment! And then to see the the reaction at full time. I think Lily herself in the in the interview was saying, you know, Vera Powell had been saying no no partying. Well, obviously, we have to focus on Slovakia on Tuesday. But uh, I don't know whether whether the players listened to that or <laughs> we can their... celebrate not party. I think yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if she rehearsed that, but it was <laughs> it was a good line. Enjoy it, but don't go overboard. But yeah, Tuesday's a big one now, and obviously trying to secure the seed. And uh, you probably need need a degree to understand what happens from here on in in terms of well, the seedings. I mean, we'll go, we'll, Kathleen will be going to be taking us through all of that in a minute and um, I'm fully expecting Kevin Caban uh, Nation to be explaining here. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But first of all, a bit of reaction from Tyler last night. Uh, Denise Sullivan, post-match, uh, chatting to Nathan. Take a look. There were nervy moments as well, particularly in the first half. What was the feeling at halftime? What was the conversation at halftime in the dressing room? I think we just needed to be more composed. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, they came out and they kind of changed up their formation a bit they played a diamond in midfield and 
I think we kind of got stuck on what, on what to do in the middle of the park and uh, we went in and Vera just said stay relaxed stay composed once we get the ball and um, I think in the second half we showed that we were a bit more composed on the ball um, and we we went at them I think compared to the first half they came at us and um, yeah the crowd was was a big big thing for us in the second half to kept us going Kathleen how come the um, better teams know how to overrun Ireland in midfield when we have such quality I don't know. Like, I think Finland sat up very well last night and they clearly knew that was an area that they needed to heavily focus on. Um, I think they probably benefited from the fact that on the first time we caught them on the hop and maybe tonight we let, or last night we let them catch us on the hop a little bit. The thing is, when you have those pivotal players like Denise O'Sullivan, is it's so easy to pick her out and just push her around and I mean I you say she plays in midfield but like I don't think there was any position she wasn't in in a classic Denise O'Sullivan fashion last night um, but in the first half she was so quiet like they had two or three people around her all the time anytime she did get the ball it was pure scrappy fighting for her life to get it out and uh, as good as she is we probably need a bit more support for her in that area I mean like the team did great but you only have one Denise O'Sullivan and whenever she gets taken out of things it's very very difficult for everyone else to pick up mm. the sort of the sort of work rate that she does around the pitch she's such quality like her she's just clearly above everybody else on the pitch who is more important to Ireland Denise O'Sullivan or Katie McCabe <laughs> oh <laughs> you're not going to do this to me are you <laughs> It's 7.39 in the morning. I mean, <laughs> give me a chance to wake up here. Um, who is more important to... The, I, I don't know. I think... Uh, like, it felt that... I ask it in the context of Katie having a slightly... Sorry, having an off night last night, by certainly by her own standards. Yeah. There's no question about that. And, and it felt like even, you know, with Ireland going backwards a bit, Denise O'Sullivan was still that player who was able to put her foot in the ball or able to get stuck in or make that challenge in a way that she was clearly still well able to demonstrate her um, superiority in a way that Katie just wasn't last night. And I don't want to be using last night to... Yeah, uh, no, to... Use to, to, to draw a total veil over Katie's <laughs> career. There's going to be an awkward Koi gig pod at some point. Whatever she says. Off the ball, Katie McCabe is done. Um, no, uh, I don't know, like even... I was watching Katie last night and I know it wasn't her best game but she was still there was at one stage where the ball was over in the far corner from her and Jessu was running towards the Finnish defender that was so high up the pitch at the stage and she was kind of slightly she like she was jogging towards her and Katie just like bombed over from the other side of the pitch was right on top of her won the ball and like ran up the pitch with it again and I think that's what she does so well. Like she doesn't, she is always watching for opportunities. She knows that if she takes herself slightly out of position, she has the ability to get back in it straight away. Um, in terms of which one of them is more important, I actually don't think you can separate them all that much. I think what Katie has done in terms of being a captain at such a young age, the leadership she shows. I think the mentality that we have now compared to what we had two or three years ago, yes, comes from Vera Powell, but I think a lot of it comes from her too because it's very much the mindset she has always had and now it's distilled into the team a little bit more. With someone like Denise, it's just it's her pure work, right? It's her skill on the ball. I mean, 
if you were to ask me who I would want to watch an open play more, I would probably say Denise. But if you asked me who would I trust to whip in a glorious free kick, it would be Katie. So they both have their advantages and I won't be sending either of them off the Irish <laughs> team anytime soon. <laughs> I feel as if you've done an excellent job of responding to that question. All the questions are there, so yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's as good as we can expect. A bit more reaction from Tala last night. Goal scorer Lily Ag. Lily, congratulations. Uh, home Ireland debuts don't get much better than that. Honestly, I don't think I even dreamt this. Um, absolutely amazing. I'm so happy for this team. Yeah. Can you talk about the moment as the ball is... Because it seemed to hang in the air for quite a while it, it, as it's going it in. It felt like forever. Um, honestly, I was signalling over to Tom, should I go in or should I hold out as I'm holding mid? And he was like, get, get yourself in there. And felt like it was up in the air forever. And I think I took a clattering from the keeper... Um, but as soon as I see the ball in the back of the net, like say, absolute scenes, the girls are all screaming and yeah, surreal moment. Yeah, and you sort of, but the goal went in, like you're definitely looking at it going, right, it's time to kick on now. And I don't know, maybe we didn't, Shane, sort of pepper the goal enough to, you know, really trouble that finish keeper. No, like there, there could have been more chances. Understandably nervy once you take the one goal lead. You're thinking, right? Let's let's just hold on to this. It's hard to it's hard to push on then. And it, look, you get you get a little bit more defensive. Like making Connolly coming back into the team. Like obviously they scored the goal in Helsinki. Probably more more a defensive role than she she would have been used to from from earlier in the campaign. But to have her back in as well and playing like she did, and then the delivery for the set piece from her as well has to be mentioned because it was a, look. you can say what you like about the finished defence and the line was maybe a bit putrid but the delivery was excellent uh, and searching and, and like I was just so happy for Vera I, I hadn't and I think she said this herself after the match like I hadn't seen a, a smile like that in her face or some of those players faces in a long long time um, and, and to just see what it meant to them uh, I, I know a lot was said in the, kind of the first half especially when things weren't going to plan about the the crowd and the, the number of empty seats I know it was still a record record attendance but maybe not the crowd they were expecting given that it sold out in half an hour but to, just to see the young fans holding on at the end and staying on to, to see the girls off the pitch um, amazing scenes it, it's a night that Irish women's football will never forget like I know we, we're, we hark back and even last week in the build up we were harking back to the Euro 2009 game and, and even the, the near miss against Slovakia last year and like there are big moments but but and there are probably more big moments to come mm. uh, but the fact is you have to enjoy these games as well uh, but Slovakia's going to be a big one just on Kitty McCabe like Kitty McCabe is going to have a massive game I think on Tuesday night because she's, she seems the type of player when, when she's doubted or questioned and no one's doubting or questioning her but she probably will know that she didn't have her best performance last night and when she's a wounded animal I feel like she's the type of player who responds very well so I, I'd expect Kitty McCabe to have a, a massive, massive say on Tuesday. Yeah, such a big game and there's a lots of permutations we'll get into those in just a couple of moments time. the tickets that Shane mentions Kathleen you were uh, out at the game last night as you said you were doing the preview show and then legged it out afterwards <laughs> uh, just as the anthems were wrapping up um, the, the ticket situation I saw a few people Michael Foley on Twitter was saying that he was trying to get tickets for his kids had hooked them in uh, previously in the campaign and then was disappointed that there was no available tickets uh, for sale for the game last night at a certain point but then looking on TV there were some large pockets of empty seats which doesn't look great. Yeah, it was quite unfortunate because I saw a lot of people talking about that on Twitter at the time and like where the TV gantry is set up, it was facing right towards those pockets. Like every other stand around was full. So it was really unfortunate just even from a visual sense for anyone watching at home that that was there. It looked like, I don't know, did clubs or teams buy pockets of tickets Mm. and then just not turn up, which is really unfortunate because it... (laughs) 
it just it was such a big night and like I know so many people were messaging me on the day looking for tickets or I had a few people message as well to say that they couldn't go and did I have anyone who could take the tickets and managed to get rid of them all pretty much straight away so there was that appetite there and I I think this is always the problem with women's football. I mean, we thought during the Euros as well, yes, okay, they broke all these attendance records, but because tickets are so cheap or mm. because they're in stadiums that are maybe a bit more difficult to get to. Not that Tal's even particularly difficult compared to some other stadiums, but there's less of a will to actually go out on the night and people are missing out like the atmosphere last night was great and one thing I would say about the crowd like I love the fact that there's all these kids there I mean the pitch at those matches is entirely different to the pitch at any other match it's a lot higher and there's a lot of screaming (laughs) Um, but I also just would like to see you know more people in their 20s 30s 40s 50s going out to these games and not just seeing it as a game for you know little boys and little girls it's so much fun it's such good crack you get totally invested in it I mean Emma one of our producers here me and her could barely speak this morning when we came in because we had been screaming so much last night and I just I hope that they the FAI and everyone across women's football keeps marketing it yes to those kids that want to dream to be the next Katie McKay but also to you know the average football fan the person who wants to go and have maybe a couple of pints and then go watch the game and then go have another few pints afterwards and I think sometimes that element is missing from the crowds in women's football matches um but yeah it was a great atmosphere last night and it is a shame about the tickets and i hope they can maybe sort something out for any future games where that doesn't happen even like if it is a club that at least the club can say to the to FAI. yeah like, if there's like, a season ticket holder hanging on to them and yeah. exactly yeah. if you say like oh i have 30 tickets i'm not going to turn up tonight can you resell them or can because it actually is quite easy to transfer tickets on the fai website i also think people would i think a fiver is too cheap like i understand why they've done it up to this point they want yeah. to get the ground filled and they want to build that atmosphere and um, you know put the opposition on the on the back foot and all that that makes total sense. I think we're now at a point where this team have enough of an audience. On your point, Kathleen, about the the uh, demographic of the audience that uh, the fans that turn up, I think there's enough of a thirst there now mm. across a broad demographic society, uh, older people basically. Like you were talking about twenties, thirties, forties who will want to go to these <laughs> games. I think you can start to charge a bit more, and at that yeah. point, you're looking at your ticket that's cost you a tenner, let's say or 12.50, whatever it might be, and you're thinking, well, I'm not just going to leave it sitting here. Whereas the fiver, you're like, meh. That, that change, that for me, that change in demographic largely comes down to, like as you've said, it, it comes down to recognition. And, and Vera Power mentioned this, and she mentioned Sky is the sponsor, and she mentioned all the great things they've done uh, in terms of getting you know, Katie McCabe's face inside of buses and across the country in different cities and, and all that sort of stuff. The Euros, I think, helped as well. There's a couple of yeah. uh, men of, of, my, of my dad's generation, you know, my dad and a few of his friends, who would never have watched women's football and then were glued to the Euros uh, recently and literally were like, this is actually really good, high-quality football. Uh, and they almost seem surprised. Um, but that generation are slowly becoming accustomed to watching women's football now, and even last night. And it's, it is that name recognition. Seeing Katie McCabe, seeing Megan Connolly, seeing like, all of these girls up on, up on buses and, and, and you know across cities, that can only help, yeah. you know. If there's name recognition, then that kind of that kind of fan group who goes and has the pints before the game are going to be more keen to go to these games. It's not going to just be the kids. So I think that's one step in the right direction. Right, uh, Kathleen's explainer of how we're going to get to Australia's upcoming. But uh, before that, it's uh, the manager of the hour, Vera Pau.
almost every player has a, a, a backstory that makes tonight so important, but I just want to touch on two, Megan Campbell back after so long, yeah. and Lily Ag, who it's taken her a long time to finally get that green jersey. What a way to mark your home debut. Yeah, it is a home debut, isn't it? Yeah, and, and we are so happy. She's, it's not just, uh, just only an amazing player, it's an amazing personality in the group. And... Um, yeah, the, the fact that she scores here the winner, she deserves it so much. Every player deserves it, but she went through so much to be here. She really wanted to play for Ireland. She didn't want to play for England. She wanted to play for Ireland because of her, her background, her family background. Um, and you could see also, she's, yeah, the, that green jersey fits her. There's no other jersey that fits her. We don't <laughs> Apart know what, from her club jersey, uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen over the next few weeks with playoff draws. And uh, I hope we're standing maybe here in two months' time with qualification. Maybe it's in New Zealand in the spring talking about qualification. We will see. There, there will be a day that I wake up and that I get to draw. And, and, uh, and you understand somebody, what's happening next. And that somebody shows me what's mm. happening next. Yeah. But is that, when, when do you get into that mindset of next? And um, put a pause now on already, tonight. because we celebrate, but we will not party. We have to win on Tuesday. That will be extremely difficult because of well, you you hear the celebrations. Mm. If your emotions are going out so so extremely, but I don't want to stop that either. But so extremely, then in three days' time, being ready again. Ooh, that will be a job. Um, but we will do it. Um, and we started off, I don't know if you've seen it, but all the subs and the ones who played in the second half, so less than 45 minutes, they did a full running program so that tomorrow we, we train with them, the others do recovery, and that means that we can immediately back into our structure. All right, still yeah. a long way to go, but enjoy the rest of tonight. Thank you, we will. Yeah, very important conversation with Nathan after the game last night. So really important that we get the points, obviously, on uh, Tuesday night, Kathleen. Explain to us why we're... Uh, <laughs> no pressure here. No Kevin Kilban tried this a couple of years ago at the Nations League. And, yeah. uh, look, he's a man that's easily confused at the best times anyway. But uh, it's still being used as highlight clips, so no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. I'm going to literally stare at my notes to make sure that I get this right. Well, obviously, top team in every group in for our UEFA draw goes into the World Cup. So that's going to be Sweden from our group. Then the nine runners-up from all the groups will compete in the playoff for the final two spots. Now, the playoffs consist of two rounds of single-leg ties. So the first, the two best qualify automatically out of that, and then the third goes into an inter-confederation playoff, which will involve other play, uh, countries. And then, so for us to qualify, of the nine teams, the worst six have to play the first leg. At the moment, we are in that, but it actually it won't be that hard for us to get into the top three, I think. I actually, during the week, I thought it would be a lot harder, but for that to happen, Norway beat Belgium, England beat Austria, Serbia have to drop points against Portugal or Israel, and we have to beat Slovakia, which none of that is like out of the realm of happening. If that happens, we only have to play the first leg or the second leg tie which would be great um, but if not then we have to play a tie before that and the winners of that go through to play in the first leg and then from that first leg tie your results and your group stage results are taken put it into a table and that's why like for last night or even for the game against Slovakia it's really important that we do score and we do like make sure our goal difference is good and then yeah if we make it that far, we've qualified. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think I'm still with you. Um, but, and like, look, at the, there is the, the permutations of the, of the games actually looks, I mean, somewhat likely almost. I mean, our own our own result might be the biggest. Nathan gave it a stab last night at explaining it. And you can see the various permutations and Catherine is outlined at the bottom of the page there. Um, and our own result might be the 
I mean, I'm not going to say least likely, but the toughest of those to come off. Mm. Yeah. One I would be slightly worried about is maybe Norway beating Belgium. Um, Serbia dropping points as well. Just Norway was so bad at the Euros, and now they've lost Caroline Green Hansen as well. So, yeah. Hopefully. The football gods were smiling on us last night. So they've got to <laughs> smile on us for the rest keep of the sm- week. Keep on smiling. We're going to come <laughs> back uh, to this very shortly indeed. You're watching OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is uh, seven minutes to eight. Here's what's coming up on the show for you this morning. Emma Byrne is standing by. Going to get to her in just a couple of moments uh, to celebrate further that history night in Tala, of course. Daniel Harris, um, similar-ish pattern of a game last night. United beat uh, Leicester by a goal to nil. So we get Daniel Harris's thoughts. He was at the King Power last night. Get his thoughts on that at uh, ten past eight this morning. Half past eight, we're going to talk to Martin McNally and David Goff, who are two high-profile intercounty referees, about you know what uh, during the week, and uh, we'll get their thoughts on exactly what it is to be a referee um, in GA in uh, at the minute. So that is uh, coming your way in just a little bit. Jack Cooney just stepped down as the Westmeath football manager, so uh, we'll reflect on. Uh, it's been an amazing year and an amazing uh, four or five years for Jack Cooney in charge of Westmeath. Uh, that is coming your way at 10 to 9 this morning. We'll have uh, what has been called up to this point, deal or no deal, uh, with Phil Egan at 10 past 9. But it's just deal this morning because the window's closed. And we'll just wrap up exactly what happened over the last 24 hours. And then David Connolly uh, from the show last night at around half past 9. So uh, lots to come and uh, lots of comments coming in as well. Uh, do keep them flowing into us, whether it's the football or the GEA or the referees or anything else. Do keep your comments coming into us over the course of the morning. Five to eight, Emma Byrne, good morning to you. Good morning, how are we? We're there, that's, that's I mean, we're <laughs> ish there, but as Kathleen just been outlining, but uh, we got what we wanted last night, just. Yeah, we did. And you know, it was fantastic. Everybody was absolutely elated, as I was, but I did have to question, what am I so happy about? Because I didn't really understand if we qualified for the playoff or if we had to qualify to qualify again mm. or, or what was going on. But yeah, it's it has sunk in overnight and yeah. it feels very good indeed. We'll all be re-watching Kathleen's explainer there over and over again just to make sure that we absolutely have it right when we're chatting to our mates in the pub tonight. But um, that notwithstanding, can you just put it in context for us, Emma? There's probably nobody better we could have on the line to put this in context from the journey that Irish football has been on to get to this stage. Yeah, I mean, it's what we've been working on for the last 50 years, basically. Well, obviously, I wasn't playing that long. But me personally, certainly the like 21 years, we were trying to get to this point. And through hard slog and sweat and tears, we didn't get there, which was uh, always going to be a massive regret and, and disappointment. But these girls did it and it just just felt absolutely amazing. I'm glad that we didn't do uh, much commentating after that because I was well enough. I needed a little break. <laughs> the, uh... um, it's just great. And it's great to see a lot of older players there, you know, from the past and everybody just on a complete high, you know, and, and you just feel a part of it as well. So it's just fantastic to see that, you know, such a relief as well. I just feel relieved that we can say that <clears throat> we've actually qualified for the playoffs and, if we can go even one step further, obviously that would be just incredible. Mm. I do think uh, that that uh, that certainly fed into it last night. What just is it too much to expect? Like the the near misses that you talk about and very recent near misses as well. Is it too much to think that what happened last night is a really pivotal moment in the future of women's football here? That that now that belief is there, and obviously there's a lot of work still to be done, but to have gotten over that hurdle, that it can be a 
pivot moment for Irish women's football? Um, I mean, every time you improve or you go further in a stage, you know, it's all, it's a great, you know, thing to, to work on, you know, and if they don't get through, I don't even want to say that, but it, imagine, <laughs> um, you're going to be talking about how close we got and we got to, you know, you need to go a step further. But again, it's, it's another game. We haven't qualified yet. It's not it's not going to change things in women's football. It's not going to be a massive, you know, um, as you say, pivotal point, unless we qualify it. <laughs> Being honest, I don't want to put a damper on it. Um, whereas, on the other hand, if we do manage to, to win those two games, hopefully just two games, um, I think, you know, that's going to be a game changer, a massive, massive game changer. And all those people that have been putting money into it and backing and supporting the girls will reap the rewards and want to invest even more. And I think that's what we need. That's what we need here in Ireland in women's football. I was saying to the guys earlier that I was watching the uh, preview show uh, last uh, last night before the game and I was fully convinced, having listened to yourself and Olivia, that you know we're going to win this game 5 or 6 nil. And then suddenly, two minutes into the game, I was like, Emma, you've really led me down the garden path here. What is no. it... What 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 is there? Something is there a deep deeper problem there? That I mean, you know, it's we'll we'll celebrate what happened last night, and that's right, and uh, luxuriate in it. But also that thing of just I mean, it wasn't just two or three minutes. There was it took until forty three minutes, I think, of the game where we sort of created our first clear cut chance. Is there something in our mentality that that needs addressing there in terms of our ability to be the favourites for a game like that? Um, I don't even think it was the mentality, like just looking at the game. It's really hard for me to keep my emotion out of it, by the way. So when I'm commentating, it's like a personal thing for me. So I get a bit <laughs> frustrated. Um, we just didn't play, which was really frustrating for me because we are a better team than Finland. Finland were one of the poorer teams in the Euros. So I wanted Ireland to go out and show that we can compete against you know, the Spains, we've shown we can compete against Sweden, but, you know, we deserve to be in, in the finals. And it was disappointing for me that we didn't play from the beginning because we could have dictated that game and we could have won it very, very comfortably. And um, you saw how dodgy they were at the back. You saw how dodgy the keeper was. You know, that was a game for us to win at least 2-0 and be comfortable. And that's all I wanted. I wanted the girls to come off the pitch and feel like, they're confident to play and they're able to, to compete at that level. And instead, we were talking about, you know, just scraping through. The second half was a different game, to be fair. But the first half for me was even from, you know, right from the keeper kicking long. And I'm like, nobody does that anymore. That kind of play is, doesn't exist. And you didn't see any team doing it in the Euros, even Northern Ireland, who got a fair old trashing. They were still trying to trying to play. And I know we were looking for a result and you just want to get to that next stage and whatever. however you get there, uh, it doesn't matter. But we do need to start putting the ball in the ground and playing. I think the reason Denise O'Sullivan and Rusha Littlejohn were in there as our, our midfielders is because they're ballers. And if you play those two in midfield, uh, you have to try and play through the midfield because otherwise it's pointless having them in there. You just bypass the midfield, which is what we were doing. And it wasn't working. So if we're going to get to the final, this this has to change a little bit. And you have to have a plan A, plan B, plan C. And you have to be able to execute those plans. And for me, I'm hoping plan A will be tried to play. If that doesn't work, then maybe play the longer balls until you can go back to try and play in through the midfield. Um, 
And, you know, the, the girls know that the girls feel that they want to play football as well. They want to play through the midfield. They want the ball to their feet. It just means players get lost, you know, in that kind of system and the way we play. Like Jessica Zoo, for example, she's a very good player. She was completely lost in that first half. She wasn't sure if she was to drop back into midfield because midfield was struggling. Um, but she was supposed to be playing high in a three. So just, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, the, the jobs. They know exactly what they're doing and, and try to put the ball in the ground and play because we have ballers in that team. I think it's interesting there that you say about them knowing <clears throat> what they were supposed to be doing because when we were talking about it in the preview show yesterday we were all so excited at the fact that Katie was playing a bit higher up the pitch it was something everyone had called for and I was listening to some of the post-match interviews and I can't remember was it Lily Ag or Denise O'Sullivan was saying that they had been set up to defend and I was like I was confused by that comment because we did end up having to defend with the way we played in that first half but it's kind of like what you were saying there where it seemed like there was a really there was a lack of the team actually knowing what they were supposed to be doing or where they were supposed to be. And I don't think it was the fact that fit purely that Finland were putting us under so much pressure that people were losing their heads. Because as you say, we know we're a better team. We know we have better abilities. So do you think it was a, a lack of a clear team plan going into it? Or was it just a case of the team went in and just got a bit caught up in the moment and weren't able to properly execute what they've been told? Um... I do. I think it is uh, trying to be positive uh, in setting up a system. Trying to be positive in a three-four-three, which is a very uh, you know confident, positive system. But realistically, it's not. It's it was a five-two-three most of the first half, which wasn't working. As as we just said, midfield were getting completely overrun. When actually three at the back would have been absolutely perfect. And it's what they're going to have to get used to. And Finland played two up front um, with Salstrom and Rantala. We only needed three at the back. And you can push Jamie Finn and Megan Campbell on a little bit. But we were pinned in. We stayed back. We were extremely deep in the first half. I know Finland wanted to play that ball in behind. But the ball was skipping on. They could have pushed on a little bit. Courtney Brosnan was very good. She was starting very high. She was able to collect all those balls in behind. So for me, I'd want to help the midfield. Denise and Rusha were just getting absolutely, you know, completely stretched in that midfield. Just whatever you need to do, whether you need to push. I'd push Megan Connolly in there. There was no need for her to be at the back in a back five. I'd push her in and, and keep my four at the back and just have that three in midfield, especially in that time we were getting overrun and Finnan looked very, very dangerous. You know, Sumanen in there was having an absolute field day. But that changed in, in the in the second half. But my thing was, if that happens against a better team, a team that can finish, because Finland's final ball was pretty shocking. If they were playing against a good team that can finish, we would have been in a bit of trouble there. You know, we were inviting them on. Finland had really nice passages to play, really nice through balls. They just couldn't finish them. We might have been two or three nil down at half time. And you just can't afford those kind of goals at you know, the high level. But it, again, it's all a learning curve. I spoke to some of the girls, they, they know exactly what they need to do and they know where the problems were last night in the first half. They're intelligent players. Um, it changed in the second half, as I said, which we were very happy to see. 
It's interesting, Emma. We talk about uh, earlier, you know, the Irish the Irish players nearly learning from the from the heartbreak of of not qualifying for the Euros. But even more interesting, perhaps, is listening to Katie McCabe after the match yesterday, and she's talking about the fact that before this campaign, they would have played a lot of higher seeded teams, big teams, uh, and well known players. Like, is that an important aspect of it too? That this Irish team maybe are getting used to those high stress moments and playing against the biggest teams in the world. Yeah, of course. You know, they need that. Um, they need to play against higher levels in friendly so they can get themselves organised. Um, you know, we when we were playing, when we nearly qualified uh, many years ago, we were playing against boys teams and, and it really helped us, you know, that higher level, faster pace. You have to think quick. You have to organise yourself a little bit quicker um, and problem solve. And they needed that. But, I mean, the main thing is the improvement is coming from club level and girls going to England playing for, for clubs over there training with players that are very very high standard day in day out and you can see that in the players that that's what's happening Yeah Tuesday night obviously we're uh, we've been going through all the permutations and trying to figure it out and uh, we're, we're somewhat the wiser but bottom line is we obviously got a win on Tuesday night as well. What's the, there might be some enforced changes. I mean, I don't know, I was going to say Lily Aga sort of played her way into the, into the team. She might be sort of into it regardless. She um, was fantastic. She was, I, I was very happily uh, surprised with Lily Ag, to be quite honest. Yeah. We had her at the Arsenal Academy again many years ago. And um, she was good, but never could never break through to the the first team of just n- not really a first team squad player. So it was great to see her getting on out there and doing a really good job. Really impressed with her. Yeah, and she probably comes into it then, Emma. Like what what uh, you know, just on the basis of what you're saying there, if you draw that thread then through to Tuesday night, what do you think in terms of shape and and personnel? Well, <laughs> I'm hoping, you know, I don't think they'll change much. I think, I'm not sure Megan Campbell will play. Um, I think uh, Chloe Mastaki did a good job when she came on as well. That's not a problem. The only thing is the throw-ins, which are just out of this world. Mm. Um, I think uh, Lily Ag will hold her position in there. She did really well. Rusha Little John, John is, um, is, is injured. Not sure she'll be back. Obviously, Niamh Fahey's out, so that will... They'll just keep that those back three in Megan Connolly, Louise Quinn, and Diane Caldwell, and I'm just I'm just hoping that Jamie Finn and and Mustaki, if she's playing, can push up higher and create that four in midfield. It's what we need. We saw Slovakia in Dublin; they're no slouches. They they played really well. They can keep the ball really well and have some really nice uh, parts of their game. So you know we have to be on form when we go over there. We want the three points. It's very very important. We get those three points. Um, so I just, you know, I'm hoping that we see a more attack in Ireland and, and a, a team that's going to play and keep the ball. Um, because when you've got a player like Kate McCabe, who, by the way, was not in the game enough for me, like, that's my player. I'm going to try and get that ball. Denise O'Sullivan, as soon as you get the ball, switch it out to Kate. We didn't see enough of that in the first half, did we? We didn't. Uh, she wasn't involved enough. And I'm just hoping that when they do play, and play through the midfield that they'll be able to find the likes of Katie um, and, and Jess Zoo when she drops in hopefully uh, we'll see her as well because I'm looking forward to see how she does in a different game um, you know I'm hoping we're going to see some football and, and see how they can play you know they know they can play football and they want to so looking forward to that 
Uh, funny, Emma, you mentioned the game, the, the game all those years ago, back in uh, 2009 for that Euro qualifier. Uh, and, and like Katie McCabe mentioned yourself and Yvonne Tracy and Kira Grant and, and girls like that, you know, by name after the match as well. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of advice handed over to, to the current squad from players like yourself when you're, when you're in discussions with them over the coming weeks um, about what the playoff experience is like because you, you're so close to a, to a major finals and yet so far and there's so much work to do. So what will your advice be to those current players in terms of dealing with the heat and the cauldron of, of a playoff environment? Yeah, I mean, I don't really need to speak to any of those girls. These have plenty of experience. They've been in, in big games and cup finals and, you know, they're all playing at a level now where, the, where they have that pressure. So, you know, the players in that squad, like Louise Quinn, Nee Fahey, Kate McCabe, they'll be speaking to the girls. They, they'll they know exactly what to say to them. Um, but the only, you know, it's such a massive game. They're going to have to work on calming themselves down and focusing and, you know, really getting their game plan right and knowing exactly what they need to do in that game. And even if it is a little bit, you know, nasty, if you're trying to soak up the pressure, that's really difficult for these young players to have that mindset of, yes, you're going to be without the ball, you're going to soak up that pressure and then you're going to try and take your chances. I mean, they're going to have to do that extremely well. Um but again, keeping the ball is so key when you do win it back. And again, last night, didn't see them doing that very well in the first half. So just, you know, these things that give your players confidence when, you, when you're when you on the ball to protect it. You don't have to, like, try and get rid of it. You can protect the ball and draw the foul. Hopefully Megan Campbell will be back. And, you know, those throw-ins are going to be a massive advantage for us. One last one. Just, am I reading your comments about Katie, Emma, that she wasn't played in the position she should have been last night? I know, we're obliged by contract to always talk about Katie McCabe's position, of course. But, uh, I know that people are, are uh, uh, blue in the face listening to the debate, but I just wanted to clarify on your comments. Are you thinking that the like uh, dip in her performance last night was more to do with tactics uh, rather than um, the player herself? No, I think she was playing in her position. She had loads of space. She oodles of space on that left-hand side. It's just we couldn't get the ball out to her. Um, I think we got, like, we actually passed the ball out to the left-hand side maybe three times in the first half. Uh, so, you know, not enough. She wasn't on the ball enough. And that was nothing to do with her. She was in, she was in great positions. We just couldn't get the ball into midfield for them to then switch it. They were just overloaded. So just needed an extra player in there to try and switch that ball over to Katie so yeah I, she was playing higher up we were very happy with that then started to drop back a little bit towards uh, the end of the, <laughs> the first half um, so it was time it was a good time for the first half the, the, the break came at a good time and then second half again just putting that extra player in there made a big difference yeah well hopefully it all comes together Tuesday night and we'll be a bit clearer about exactly what we need to do Emma pleasure as always thanks a million Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ireland legend Emma Byrne on the line there, picking through the bones of last night. And loads of comments coming into us as well. We've one here on YouTube from David Shanks. He says, uh, really delighted for Vera Pau. The difficulties and pressure that she went through professionally and personally last night was a deserved achievement, uh, which I think we can all get behind. And a uh, great win last night, says uh, Bernard Lawless. It was a bit worrying at the first half, but we got the win and it's on now to Slovakia. So uh, do keep those comments coming in. Uh, we've lots more to get to. We've a great line of free between now and 10 this morning. And uh, we did, however, Shane, want to mention the fact that there are some high-profile counties out there who are without a manager at the minute. And, uh, you know, apart from Westmeath, <laughs> your own county, um, what's the story? What's going on? 
quite emotional about this, Adrian. Mm. So I thought we should have some music in the background while I spoke about this. Monaghan has been an unwanted county, I think, Adrian, for, for some time. The, uh, the plantation of Ulster in the 1600s, they didn't want Monaghan. Uh, when you think about partition, we ended up on, the, on one side of the map, but no one really wanted us. Patrick Kavanagh, one of our mo- most famous sons, described it as stony grey soil. That's not a very nice way of describing it himself. Um, the Monaghan bus station, it's, it's known as the, one of the worst bus stations in the country. And it's a, a, Monaghan is seen as a passing point to get to Donegal. But Monaghan has so much, Adrian. And uh, I'd just like to make this call out this morning to all the free inter-county GAM managers out there who might be thinking of getting back into management. I'm thinking of some names here, Andrew McGinley gone from the Antrim job, he's a Tyrone man so maybe it might be difficult for him to, to manage Monaghan but who knows, Ray Dempsey Ray you didn't get the job with Mayo and I know your heart lies in your home county but come to Monaghan, we have so much to offer Kevin Walsh is another Adrian, another another great man uh, long long journey up from um, from Galway but look, we, we look after the green diesel expenses, I mean the, the diesel expenses um, but I've decided to, to pen a, a small poem um, to hopefully maybe try and bring some of these big names to Monaghan because it's a job that's open Westmead is open too as you said Donegal is open they can't seem to get a manager but it's the 2nd of September and Monaghan lost their manager on the 29th of June so this is my, my poem as yet untitled 65 days ago Banty was out the door second time's the charm they said but Monaghan folk wanted more Tyrone's red hand did them in last year another Ulster final loss back to a summer of beer this summer Derry had too much graft and craft and grit not to mention Rory Gallagher's hands full of spit. Mayo got us in the back door and McEnany was on his way. Who'll take over now? Sure, the sponsors will pay. J.O. Sherlock was mooted, a basketball background as well. Learned his trade under Gavin, a bigger catch than Odell. But the Dublin man pulled the pin like Shergar, he was gone. Division 1 football, not enough of a draw. Jer Brennan looked set and then he was out. Farney fans all over, driven to the stout. From Carrick to Blaney, Bally Bay to the town, we've been wondering who'll be next to take over the crown. And now we're on a wee bit from Dublin, we've got food, golf and fishing. Rory Began can kick from anywhere, in sun, wind or pishing. We haven't won Sam yet, maybe you'll help us get our first. Come on up and drink the Oriel water, hi. We're all dying of thirst. Beautiful, I have a, I have a tear in my eye. Passionate and passion plea. And I mean, if you don't fancy Monaghan, the Westmead gig's gone as well. So, you know, take your pick. Uh, right, it is quarter past eight. You're watching OTBM. We're delighted to have you with you this morning. A reminder as well, of course, uh, the Premier League is back and we've teamed up with one of Europe's largest sports events, ticketing and hospitality companies, their Champions Travel. And we're giving you the opportunity to win a 200 euro, cha- uh, 250 euro Champions Travel voucher each day this week uh, that can be used on Premier League match trips as well as a host of other sporting events. So, daily winners are going to be entered into a grand prize draw uh, at the end of the week where one lucky winner is going to win a trip from a selection of Premier League games with flights and two nights accommodation included so it's a great prize and to enter just tell us who's this former Republic of Ireland manager who's listing his ideal fixture list Bolton at home Spurs away Manchester United away Burnley Liverpool City the producer is really phoning it. It's Friday and he's phoning it in. He's uh, he really made no effort with that at all. You can tweet us your guests on our main Twitter account. It's at Off the Ball and uh, it's a great prize. So stay tuned for more on that. We're back after the break with Daniel Harris to talk United. OTB. All right, 80 minutes past eight and uh, Leicester nil, Manchester United won was a result we wanted to get stuck in last night at the King Power from uh, United. We stand uh, last night. Daniel Harris, good morning to you. 
Hello. So, we uh, we watched the game last night and uh, I wondered afterwards whether it was a case that United are back uh, and it's more evidence that Eric Ten Hag is all over this revolution, Daniel, or was it a scrappy win against a poor Leicester? Or maybe both are true, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think both could be true. United played, played reasonably in the first half, had quite a lot of control of the game, which is one of the things that they've really struggled for under pretty much all the post-Fergie managers is that ability to control the game. So that was definitely improving. And then... In the second half, when they had to, they ground it out. And we saw that against Southampton too. And it's kind of, it's not the best way to win games. Obviously, the way you want to win a game is by playing your opponent off the pitch and dominating all the way through. But for a team that's developing, you can't really expect that at this stage necessarily. Um, Although I felt like United should have finished both of those games much sooner than they did, particularly Leicester, who looked a really poor side, lacking in confidence, felt like it was going to be a long season for them. But at the same time, not scoring immediately. So then the game becomes difficult and finding a moment of quality with the game already in progress, if you see what I'm saying, and then being able to see it out is not a bad skill to be honing and probably quite good for confidence as well. Because, yeah, that's two clean sheets in a row. And um, if you'd have told me or told anyone with an interest in United doing well after Brentford that they'd win the next three games... They'd have taken that in any manner and they've won those games in fairly pleasing ways, I think. Uh, regardless of the, the, the opposition last night and the sort of downward spiral almost in some ways that they're, uh, that they're on, it does feel uh, that whatever's going on at United, Ten Hag has introduced a, like a breath for everybody. Everybody can stop, they can pause, bring a bit of rationality to the to the debate. Ronaldo is there, he's not making faces on the bench, he's coming on and he's doing a job for the last 25 minutes. He really seems to have, and look at, I mean, uh, you know, I was asking a, a big United sporting mate of mine yesterday, where is it on the scale of 1 to 10 is he at? I was expecting a sort of 6 or 7 and he was like, listen, I've come from the minus numbers on him, about a 2 at the minute. But there, <laughs> there, there, there does feel as if the, he's introduced, if nothing else, a breath, a calmness. Yes, yes, slowly, slowly. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone was saying he'd introduce any kind of breath or any kind of calmness when people were losing their head after that Brentford game. Mm. But he's responded really well since then. And it is it is a process. The other day, actually, I'm going to say this. I guess I am. Um, my dad, my old fella, had, had to have emergency surgery that turned out out of nowhere turned out it might actually be life-threatening he's fine now so um before before he was sort of being wheeled out to have this surgery that he may or may not have made it through a mate of mine sent me a message and he said tell dave that being my dad to uh, keep the red flag flying high so i thought you know <laughs> what i'm actually gonna tell him and see what he says so he's getting wheeled out there and i said keep the red flag flying." Uh, benji my friend beaky says uh, keep the red flag flying high and um my dad puts his hand in the air and then he says, like, clenches his fist. And then he says, I hope I live long enough to see United win the league again. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, well, I hope I live long enough to see United win the league again. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a process. Um, it, it, it's a process. And, but it's nice when you're able to see instant improvements, more or less. And I think what happened against Brentford was, in a sense, that Brentford game, it wasn't necessary but I think that Tenag picked the wrong teams for the first two games. And because Brentford was so bad, that it meant that he could then start making changes and he could make a couple of drastic changes and no one would say, what are you doing? Because I felt like he probably wanted to drop Harry Maguire from the beginning, but he maybe felt that he didn't have the political capital to do it. 
because coming in and immediately saying to the captain, all right, mate, you sit this one out, is going to start attracting all kinds of unnecessary attention. And suddenly there's pressure. But because Brentford was so bad, he could bin off Luke Shaw and he could bin off Harry Maguire and no one could say anything. And he's now got... And that's, that's made a massive difference. I mean, as I said before, Leicester were poor, but United gave them one chance in the 94th minute last night. That was the only time they got anywhere near United's goal. And one thing that's been constant in these three games, I think, is United have defended the box really well against Liverpool, against Southampton and, um, and against Leicester. And I think what, what's happened in the back four is obviously having Varane fit is, is massive. Fit and playing, looking confident and playing, playing regular games makes a massive difference because obviously he's in a different league to Maguire and a different league to Lindelof. And putting Martinez and Malassia in there is just, it's given United some aggression that they didn't have before. I, I, Luke Shaw probably is as talented as Malassia is. They're both really talented footballers. But what Malassia has that Luke Shaw doesn't have is he has that aggression, that desperation to, win the ball to get back to get things done he plays with a real sense of urgency and a real sense of intensity that is exactly what Luke Shaw does not do and I think the same is actually true of the Maguire and Martinez in that Ma- Maguire does things slowly he gets the ball he's quite good on the ball but he has a look he runs with the ball but he runs with it slowly and he has a look and should he make the pass should he not make the pass should he get in front should he stay off Martinez just doesn't think about that. He gets in and he tries to win the ball. The ball comes to him, he tries to pass it forward. And the thing that United have lacked most of all with all the post-Fergie managers is tempo. The, the ability to sustain the attacks, the ability to move it forward. And they still have massive improving to do in this area. Um, and I think that even on last night's performance, the only time I think they played with the proper tempo for a concerted amount of time was against Liverpool. And the way that Liverpool play the game sort of forces that tempo on you. But... They're starting to improve because they've got players that are settling, that he sort of has a first team now, more or less. I mean, he'll make a couple of the changes. At some point, Anthony's going to come in on the right. Might be at the weekend. At some point, Casemiro's going to come in for McTominay. But otherwise, he's got a team. They're starting to groove and they're starting to do things at a pace that you have to do things at if you want to be a good football team. United aren't a team. They don't have the players that can just endlessly keep possession and then find a goal. Like They're a team that need to be proactive. They have players that are proactive because they have players that are more focused on taking risks and trying to make things happen than they are on trying to minimise risks by moving the ball about. And the strides that they've made since Brentford have been significant, but I mean, yeah, as, as, your, as your friend said, like he's now a two because they were so low beforehand. So like, no one's no one's getting too excited and um, looking, I don't think, and thinking that they're good yet because they're not good yet. But you can see the path to being good and hopefully they're on it. I mean, it looks like they're on it. Uh, Daniel, I think the point was made on the on the commentary on, on BT Sport last night about the fact that Rafael Varane seems to almost excel behind, beside a, a fiery central defensive partner. We saw him with Ramos, obviously, at, at um, Real Madrid and now with Lissandro Martinez at United. Like, I don't think you'll, you'll, you'll see many United fans disagreeing that this, this central defensive partnership looks the business. And even you see moments of body language as well, and it's further to Adrian's point that, you know, when Dallo, for example, wins a goal kick and there's chest bumps straight over to Martinez with the chest bump, the Argentinian has brought something different to this United defence, and, and all of a sudden, United seem to have a, a first-choice central defensive partnership that nobody really disagrees with. No, I mean, I think I said this after Brentford, that it didn't feel like the goals against Brentford were scored because he's not very tall. 
And what we're seeing is that timing and aggression are more important than inches, I think. Um, because, I mean, I, I felt like yesterday Varane was the better. I thought Varane was excellent yesterday. And because it's also, it's not like Varane is not an aggressive player either. Like, he's he's fast and he's the guy who tends to sweep up and is extremely handsome, which is also nice in that most good United sides have some seriously handsome blokes in it. And you want some you want some rugged, extremely unhandsome blokes. Helps. Yeah, you want you want some rugged, extremely ugly lads, but you also need some some classy looking handsome ones, and that is that that is Varane. But he also, when he's defending well, Varane, he also doesn't wait to be asked, and it's that it's that both of them have that aggression and that ability to know when when to sell themselves almost. That sometimes you sometimes defending is about standing up, and what you want to do is you want to jockey your opponent with your shoulders slightly open and make them make the first move so that you know you can then respond to that first move because you, it, other, if you dive in, you're then giving them, you're then telling them where to go because then they're just able to go where you are. And I think both of those both of those centre-backs, they, they're really good at knowing when you dive in and when you stand up. I mean, Martinez is usually trying to, trying, trying to nip in. Um, but Varane also is really good at knowing when to nip in and when you basically just need to make your body as big as possible and, and block things. And, I think Malassia is good like that as well. That I mean, he tends to follow the diving in school, but he's got the recovery pace that, and, the, and the ability to turn really quickly. I think he's a bit more agile than Luke Shaw. And it makes a big difference, I think, if the defenders outside you, for both the centre-backs, have both got speed on the speed to cover. Whereas what you'd sometimes previously had was you had Maguire and Lindelof, both of whom were quite slow. And that put a lot of pressure on the fullbacks because the fullbacks had to defend the flanks, but they also had to get pretty tight to their centre backs because neither of the centre backs had anything amounting to recovery pace, and they were also quite error prone. And that is not, I don't think, a good combination. It's an extremely avant-garde combination, I would say, for centre backs. But what you're getting from both, like Varane, you get you get that composure and that confidence because he knows that he is good enough to defend the best players at the highest level in the biggest games. And the confidence that that gives you and your ability to make correct decisions is, I think, quite significant. And what we see with Martinez is he just, he reads the game really well. So he also has the confidence just to make the right decisions. And then that kind of proactive defending enables you to get the ball forward more quickly. And the, the balance in midfield isn't quite right yet. It's, it, it's getting there. I think when once you put Casemiro in, I think what, what um, Tenaf is doing is really, he's, feels like he's making it clear that by not picking Casemiro yet, that in order to get in the team, it's not just about having been signed for an expensive transfer. Even though Casemiro obviously has an incredible pedigree, brilliant player, better than Scott McTominay, uh, I think it's fair to say. Because the team are winning, I think the point that he's making to the squad is that you get in the team. If the team's playing well and you're playing well, then you stay in the team. I don't know how that'll work for Arsenal. I would like to see a couple of changes for Arsenal because it felt like it feels like Casemiro is necessary if you want to play Ericsson and Bruno in a physical game, in a quick game. And it also felt like, although I wouldn't necessarily have spent the Anthony money on Anthony, I'm speaking from some ignorance because I'm not as familiar with Anthony, obviously, as Ten Hag is. But um, I just felt like a right back and a centre forward both might have been more necessary than a winger. But it felt like last night we saw why Anthony is necessary because what happened when United were trying to kill the game and at the same time maintain some kind of threat on the counter, 
is that it felt like they were an attacking chain short, that they end up bringing on Ronaldo, taking off taking off Rashford, moving Bruno to the flank, and then all of a sudden, and they've also taken a langer off already, they've not really got enough pace on the counter. And with someone like Anthony, what that gives you is it gives you a ball carrier. So it means that he can get the ball downfield, and it also just gives you a different attacking option without losing that massive threat on the break, which is something that United have. And also, I think thinking about watching the game last night and thinking about why Ten Hag has signed Anthony, it felt like if you want to play Ericsson and Bruno together in midfield, and it's clear that that is exactly what Ten Hag wants to do, then if you play two wingers who, who want to come inside, so you've got them, come, they're both inverted, you've got Sancho playing on the left, coming inside on his right foot, and you've got Anthony, who's left foot, coming inside, if he was, who's, on the, who's on the right, left foot, coming inside on his left foot, then what you've got is you've got two wingers that are basically able to carry the ball, able to able to move the ball, looking, and that will give you that kind of level of control. Because if you think about those two players and the fullbacks and centre backs that can both play, then you're able to start outnumbering your opponents in midfield, and you know that whoever the ball goes to, there's a decent chance that you'll retain possession. And that I think is something that United are going to be are going to need to get better at. It's moving the ball quickly and having as much of the ball against good teams, whereas Against Liverpool, they obviously ended up having really good, dangerous possession. But you don't want your opponents to have as much of the ball as Liverpool had in that game, even though it felt like for stretches, like United were controlling it. And the way that Tenach, I think, wants to play is he wants, and you can see it with the players that he's bought, is he wants more of a possession team than a power team. And he wants United to control games. And that's something that they're, they're, getting, they're getting better at. And something that I think that the new signings at the back help because they're good footballers, but also, and they want to win the ball quickly, but also I think Anthony will help with that as well because he's able to carry the ball and he's able to come inside and then that will help United have more men. And often in midfield, it's about a numbers game. If you watch the way the City play, and obviously they're, or any Guardiola team, that they are the best teams in possession that probably we've ever seen in the history of football. The way that they do it is they do it by sticking fullbacks into midfield. They have wide players then that are able to stay wide or come inside and they have defenders that can play. And I think what United have managed to do is they've actually managed to get defenders who can play, who can also defend. And that's not something I'd necessarily say about City's defenders. It's just they're so good at the possession bit that for them, it's a risk worth taking to have defenders whose main attribute is their ability to help you dominate. And United actually have defenders who, in theory, when they get a bit better and when they get a bit more confident and a bit more grooved, will enable them to dominate, but can also defend, which is... Not me saying United are therefore going to be better than City. It's just, it's that line. I feel like it's only really Pep Guardiola whose teams can get away with cheating at the back, whereas any other team pretty much is coached by any other coach. They're still, to be effective in 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 a league battle, particularly against these teams, you're also going to be, need to be able to dominate the ball, but you're going to need your defenders to defend. And it's that. And then packing the midfield basically that's going to enable United to go to the next level so it's been decent so far and what's more decent about it is that there are very obvious signs of where they might be able to get better and I think Tanakh has that has a decision to make about does he try and get by against Arsenal with a team that bottom line he knows is not his best team he knows his best team has Anthony and Casemiro in it is he going to try and get away with it against Arsenal to make a point to the players that places have to be earned or is he going to pick what he thinks is the strongest team and try and get it going because they're playing 
good opponents. I don't know. And we shall see, and we shall see what happens on uh, against Arsenal the weekend as well. Daniel, thanks a million. No worries. Have a good, have a good day, everyone. Thanks, Sarah. Daniel Harris there. United we stand picking through events at the King Power Stadium last night. The Leicester conversation is another one worth having at some point down the track as well because they do appear to be on a bit of a downward spiral at the minute. Do keep comes coming into us. It's 25 to 9. You're watching OTBM. We're brought to you uh, live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We did uh, want to turn our attention to a story that's been dom- dominating a lot of uh, conversation um, around the dinner table and a lot of WhatsApp groups over the last 24, 48 hours events at Ballyforn in Roscommon uh, during the week where a referee uh, was involved in an incident where he had to be brought off to hospital after the game an under-17 match uh, between St Aidan's and St Dominic's uh, there's further fallout from it this morning it now seems like all of this weekend's uh, Roscommon football championship games are going to be postponed uh, there was a meeting at Piers last night and referees in the county have opted to go on strike until Sunday midnight following uh, the incident in Ballyforn during the week so that's where that's at we're going to be joined on the in a few moments' time by Intercounty Referee David Goff. Uh, delighted to say that we are joined in studio by another Intercounty Referee, Martin McNally. Good morning to you, Martin. Thanks for coming in. Morning, lads. How are you? Good. Um, this story was something we weren't sure uh, how to approach. We did feel as if we needed to have a conversation about it. So thanks, Amelia, for coming in because I think it's important that at this time, and like I mean, even further to the to the developments this morning that we hear from people who are at the front line of it as such and we're conscious as well that we need to let justice, sporting and potentially otherwise take its course so um, there's a there's a gap in the video and uh, we might let uh, whatever justice uh, that arises over the next few days and weeks fill that gap and we'll be conscious of that as we pick through it as well. Your thoughts when you saw the video? Yeah, look at um, obviously the, the version that we've seen is is I suppose um, shielded a little bit from potentially what happened, mm. but yeah, it I suppose disgust is is the overwhelming um, I suppose feeling from I suppose every referee in the country um, because that could have been any of us, mm. um, and you know you. I suppose you don't think about it until you see something like that. It brings it all. It brings it very much home to to. Um, you know, to to I suppose realise that yeah, you know, as I said, it could, it could have been it could have been anyone, and and like no referee goes out to spend sixty seventy minute game, you know, uh, ending up in hospital at the end of it, you know. So uh, they all go out to do their job to the best of their ability, and and it was just very sad to see what happened the other night. I'm looking at stats here in front of me, Martin, and, and like I think these stats came from. Dr. Noah Brick from yep. Ulster University like ni- nearly 95% of 438 GA referees surveying, uh, surveyed experienced verbal abuse mm-hmm. 23% reporting physical abuse at, like I was texting you about this instant yesterday and you were, used that word disgusting were you surprised or is it not that surprising? Um, it's, it's not that surprising, I suppose. What Noel Brick um, in the University of Ulster has done, you know, that's you know, it's it's an incredible body of work that they've done, and I know that the GA have contributed in, in some of those facts and figures. They, they've worked at it, and the GA have not hid behind this. We all know we're we're very aware that there, it happens out there, um, but until now, until Noel Brick took this body of work on, there hasn't been any meat on the bone in terms of numbers and figures. Now we have something to work with, um, and we have we have stats to improve. I suppose the the interesting thing that Noel did 
was he compared them to um, figures of within other sports, so soccer in Ireland and soccer in, in in mainland Europe as well. And our figures are a little bit higher than them, you know, but they're not. Uh, you know they're not massively massively different so I suppose for the first time ever we actually have figures to work with and we have a target now we have a target you know it doesn't matter what you're in if you're in business or whatever you, you need a target so now we have a target and we have something to work with and we, we have something that we can we can improve on you know um, is it going to be an overnight fix no how do we fix it well you know that's that's the next question you know uh, there, there, there's an action plan to be put in place now to see what the next step is to improve that because ultimately you know we want to improve um, the respect for officials out there and we want to inspo- improve the, the, the spectacle you know uh, we want people spectators young kids young adults adults who are playing the game to have a good experience of our sport and 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 not have any negative um impact as a result of it and and we're just not talking officials here you know the abuse out there um you know i suppose we're, we're we've moved on to a new whole new level of abuse now with cyber abuse you know online um and you know I suppose it's important to remember, yes, we're focusing on referees here at the moment, but managers, players are all subject to this, you know, and it just depends what time of the year and what the incident is on on who's been the target of that abuse. It's a bad culture of it out there. What's your... Uh, lived experience because like the one thing that I've been able to establish over the last 24 hours was and it wouldn't have taken a rocket scientist there does appear to have been physical contact the nature exactly of that there's loads of different reports about exactly what that is and we, we let that be established but there yeah. was physical contact have you had that in your experience? No I've, n- I've never experienced physical uh, interference or, or, or uh, fi- any f- type of physical abuse um, yeah I've, I've I've received the verbal you know and I, I don't think I think Shane highlights the stats there you know they're in the the 90 percent mark you know so that nearly puts everybody in the in the bracket that have uh, abused been abused verbally um we want to improve on that you know we we definitely want to improve on it but in terms of the physical no and we are talking you know we, we are talking about you know physical abuse incidents they are so much in the minority i i, I know the figures there that that noel has come out with, but we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of games within the association both in you know in, in ireland and abroad like the ga is a worldwide organization you know so mm. but you know, it's 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 the numbers that Noel has come out with now that gives us a target to improve on that, and and, and I think that the GA, uh, I know there's an appetite and I know there's a momentum, and I suppose maybe that momentum now is is even stronger than ever after what happened the other night to to come up with a change and there's new energy, and I think that's not just within the referee and circles, that's within the GA community that there's an appetite and there's a willingness to to try and improve what we're what we're witnessing here at the moment. Uh, David Goff, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. How are we? Good. Martin's just been outlining his thoughts on the the clip. Uh, disgusted but not surprised, I think, uh, sums it up. Your view? Um, I suppose it, 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 it's frightening when sitting down and thinking about it last night. Um, I don't think in all my years of refereeing, going to uh, an underage game or a club game in Mead, um, that anywhere in my thought process for the match that evening that I was worried for my physical safety or um, any potential danger on the pitch. It never came in uh, to my mindset at all. And I'm just thinking about the referee in question who probably left his family, like most of us would on, on an evening, picked up a couple of umpires maybe for a, a, a midweek game and went to the match. 
you know, laughing, joking, having, having fun with his umpires and walked out there thinking, you know, it's a minor game. There's no threat to me or, or to anyone else. But to leave the field in, in an ambulance is uh, a shocking end to what's supposed to be a very enjoyable pastime um, for a referee. And uh, it certainly has never... Uh, reared its head for me in, in club games in me that never felt in any sort of, of, of danger um, or, or of, of, of physical abuse or, or altercation and I, I think it's a sad day for the association albeit as Martin has rightly pointed out an isolated incident we don't have the data to back up you know how many um, physical assaults there are of match officials but of the thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of club games, school games, college games that go on within any GA ca- calendar year. It's very rare we hear of, of, of this type of situation. David, like I remember we, we did a Saturday panel on Off the Ball, I think it was back in 2018, where we were discussing referee abuse, and by chance, the day before the panel, news broke of a referee being kept in his dressing room, locked in his dressing room for 20 minutes, uh, during the Donegal under-14 match for his own safety. Now that's four years ago. The infamous incident in the Leinster final, of course, twelve years ago. Like, are the GA learning here? Is enough being done? Are, are, are there enough supports for, for for referees who might be suffering online abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse? Or what's your take on on, on how it's being handled? Well, uh, first of all, I'd say those things are sometimes reported on no different than than what we're speak, speaking about this morning. But the very nature of the GA is that an intercounty player will will get injured next week, or there'll be a new appointment in Donegal or Monaghan, and, and the media train moves on, and it, it's quite often quickly forgotten, and very little is done in in follow up to it. And you're right to mention those those incidents, all be them uh, uh, isolated incidents. Have the GA learned? I don't I don't think that, that they're turning a blind eye to this. I think I have looked at their strategic plan for the next four years, the 2022 to 2026 strategic plan, and and have come out and said that they're looking at greater recruitment and retention of referees, greater investment of referees, and uh, have 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 listed as one of their desirables greater respect um, to garner greater respect for match officials. My problem is, as we see all these strategic plans, and they've been there since 2015, and they're like a wish list. Of, of things that the GA would aspire to do over the coming three years. But very rare, uh, very often those um, plans are left on the shelves and they're, they're very rarely enacted with any real or meaningful backup to them. And, you know, optimising respect for match officials, what are they going to do about that? What have they done in the past? We can look at the Give Respect, Get Respect initiative that was rolled out, which is a lovely slogan um, if everybody understands it. But it is only an initiative. It is up to the players, the managers, the match officials to sign up to that. And if they don't, well, there's no sanction as a result of it. It sounds like you're saying that Croke Park could be doing an awful lot more. Um, I I think they could be, um, but I think it's a difficult fix. It's not something that's easy. It is, uh, as I see it coming from an educational point of view, an educational fix. We need to get in at the under eights, the academies, the under tens, and we need to be rolling out educational um, uh, programs to those kids about optimising match respect uh, or uh, respect for match officials, because that's where it needs to start. That's where the culture change needs to start. And if you can get the mindset right, with children and underage, it'll eventually roll over in, in six to eight to ten years' time. But it is that education because quite or far too often our coaches, our GDOs um, are, are, are quite very well versed and skilled in upskilling the children in the skills of Gaelic games. But if you ask anyone what their definition of respect is, 
you're going to get a different response. There's four of us here this morning, and if I asked any of you to define what respect is, we get four different responses. And then how to tie that in to what your definition is, to what you would see on a Gaelic football feed, is an extremely difficult thing for people to do. So it, it, it does take a, an education piece around that to change the culture. What about that point, uh, Martin, just in relation to that, I think Dave makes a very fair point about the news cycle, that there's a bump in this stuff now, and as I said, it's in all the WhatsApp groups, people who don't follow sport are talking about it, it's obviously dominating news, new, main news headlines, and that's grand, but that all dies away next week, and you lads are still left there going, right, who's, who's batting for us now? Yeah, you know, something, you know, I suppose these things have a, have a, uh, habit of of going down the stream with the with the next batch of news that comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the GA, I think David's one hundred percent right. The GA are, are working on it. They are slightly hamstrung in the in the sense that they're such a massive organisation, and it's very hard for them to to reach out to every little corner of Ireland to 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 fix the issues that are going on, and they're relying on, I suppose filtering out from Crow Park, going down to the provinces, going down to the county boards, staying out to the clubs. Um and, and you know, there there is there is an effort going on out there. I think this is actually going to up the ante in terms of the effort that's going on out there. I just want to go back to David's other point there in terms of the education. I think we've a massive asset nationwide and it's already in place in terms of the coming the month school and uh, the GDOs. Every every primary school in the country has a GDO going in. I think there's a there's a possibility or, or an opportunity to use them people and and the likes of the coming the month school as an educational tool and 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 educate the kids at a very young age and also in turn bring that education home to the parents. Every young kid has to do their homework with their parents and let's let's bring some of that in that the parents are involved and you know we start I suppose getting the message out there about the respect of officials, the respect um, from uh, players to officials, managers, spectators towards officials. And then, you know, when we start slowly but slowly, you know, I think I think everybody who's involved in officiating in GA games will be held in a higher esteem. And, and it, it's, as David said, it is it is a cultural thing, but, you know, it, it's... It, it is fixable. You're never going to eliminate it. It doesn't matter. You can never legislate for what a human interaction is going to be and, and, a, and a response or a reaction like on the pitch, you know. But I definitely think that there's there's an opportunity there and, and it does, realistically, everything boils back to the education. The one thing that you would say is that, that in terms of tackling it, of course, those things you talk about, and it strikes me that they, and I'm delighted to hear you talk about the parents, because I think that that is a piece that's uh, as important as anything else in those conversations, because as much as you can do with the education of kids at a younger age group, they're going home, and that's probably the biggest uh, lesson they're getting. But the other thing, obviously, is where, and speaking generally, as opposed to about this specific incident, where a physical altercation is proven and established to have happened, Mm -hmm. you have to throw the book at at that person, right? Like, that's that's the message now that comes out of an incident like this. There, there's no place for you in the, in 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 our games. Absolutely, you know there has to there has to be ramifications for what's after happening. You can never reward bad behaviour, um, and that's that's in any in any form of uh, walk of life. You know you have to be able. To, there has to be consequences. You know if 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 you um, go down the road and and you speed on the the M1 at 150 kilometres per hour, there, there's going to be a repercussion for that. So it's, in every walk of life, there has to be a repercussion. Um, 
I, I don't want to get into the, the the nitty-gritty of what there should be and what there shouldn't be because, as you, as you said at the outset, there's an ongoing investigation and, and that. But, yes, it doesn't matter what it is. There has to be, there has to be a consequence for mm-hmm. what's happening. And the consequence in this case, I assume, will be quite severe. There does tend to be a bit of a culture, David, as well, of in, in GA, particularly for whatever reason, of a kind of ducking and diving and you take the hit for this and we'll cover up this thing over here and like there does tend to be that sort of a culture of it and, and like almost a bit of omerta you would hope that in an incident like we saw the other night that there are uh, 30 players on the pitch God knows how many maybe 100 people in ter- terms of subs and other coaching staff and, and people watching it the onus now is on those people to come forward and say here's what happened yeah, that would be the honourable thing to do and you would hope that is what's going to happen. I don't want to comment on an ongoing investigation yeah. and the allegation. I mean, we don't know exactly what's happened. Um, I'm sure Roscommon CCC will, will, will finish their report and they'll send it into Crow Park. I would imagine that at the highest level, both Eucteron and Archduroh are extremely disappointed that this has fallen uh, on the GA's desk this week. And I think that they would certainly await the, the report from, from, from the CCC before they, before they get involved or make any statements, if they are even going to do that. But it does come back to, um, you know, the, as you called it, the ducking, the diving. And, and we see far too often um, at, at, at club level as well as inter-county level, um, people not owning up and taking responsibility for their actions. We find it uh, extremely frustrating as referees that we um, implement the rules on the playing field and then in the boardrooms in the week afterwards um, that legal teams can come in and face against GA volunteer committees um, and uh, hearings committees um, and, and players get off on all sorts of technicalities and it's extremely frustrating and I hope that isn't the case um, in, 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 in this instance I think the honourable thing for, for people to do um, is if they are contacted to be honest about what they have seen or what they have heard and, and let the, the investigation come to full fruition based on the facts Martin I remember hearing from Brian Gavin the former um, Intercardi hurling referee before and he was talking about the fact that he, he watches rugby games and he's jealous like he's envious of the way players talk to referees and the way I guess referees talk to players back like do you ever do you ever sit and watch other sports maybe soccer as well I'm almost jealous of of the way in which referees are treated. Um, yeah, there there is times, you know, there there is times, particularly in rugby, you know, because of the the massive level of respect between players um, and and referee uh, happens. Yes, there is times where you would say, you know, gosh, I'd love that to happen in air game. I suppose we're we're going back to the education and the communication here. A rugby referee will go in and speak with the teams before a match. And um, there's a there's a rapport between the team and the referee, um, and and they know where they stand before, you know, the kickoff even happens in rugby. Um, likewise, in the Premier League, um, at the start of the season, the managers will come in, the referees' body will come in, and they'll say, right, here's the issues that we had last season, and here's how we're going to combat them. And it's up to you as as coaching staff to to implement your game plan around these changes that we're going to make to improve our game. The same in, Amer- in uh, um, Australian football, where the referee speaks with the teams before the game. So, it's it's all down to to dialogue and, and communication. And I suppose, um, yes, I, I I do I do get jealous. But you know, the, the, sometimes maybe a little bit of dialogue and and uh, an openness, and, and we can learn from rugby uh, in terms of what they do. You know. 
can solve a lot of the situations that 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 we have in our, in our game, you know. And um, but you know we're a different sport. You know we can't tar every sport with the same brush. You know, um, and we we are a different sport. We are a voluntary organisation. The players, the managers, and um, the the officials were all voluntary. Um, and it's it's very hard for us to get the time to to treat it like a, a, a professional sport they're all paid um, to do their job and they have the time and, and they, they have the schedule people make a schedule for them to go in and do all these things but yeah to, to answer your question yeah I, I, at times I am envious of it yeah I asked uh, David this question already when we chatted a couple of months back so I'll ask you as well should there be uh, some professional referees in GEA? Um, it depends I suppose depends what model you would go with um, at the minute I would say no um, but if there was um, an appetite within the GA for a number of referees down the line, I do see a use for them where there would be your full-time referees. They would also be involved in, in coaching and improving your the standard of your referees in the provinces and the counties uh, nationwide. They would also be involved in... I suppose in the off season stuff, we now have a longer off season, uh, particularly for inter county. Um, so the in the off season, they would get an a, I suppose a longer and a better opportunity to work with the mm. the referees and maybe take um, I suppose some new referees through. But at the minute, I don't think that's something that's on the table. But if it, if it was there, there is a use for them. But as I said, the GA is a voluntary organisation. You know the the employees uh, of the GA. You know, are necessary for the day-to-day running of it, but I, I don't think the, re- I suppose, professional referees are a necessity at the moment. David, you, you mentioned the word recruitment there a short while ago. Like, I almost, like, you're sitting there thinking, how are how are the GA going to entice young men and women to get involved and, and become referees? Like, is that is that an issue now when when young people turn on the news and, and see incidents like this happening? Um, like, is recruitment of referees a, a major issue at the moment? Is it difficult to get them on board? Oh, absolutely. And I don't think it's a new phenomenon that we're aware that the recruitment of referees is extremely difficult. The instant uh, during the week is just going to be a further deterrent. Um, if you ask most of the referees, or certainly intercounty referees, how they fell into refereeing, none of them are ever going to say, well, I wanted to be an intercounty referee and referee in All-Ireland Football Final. It's usually something that happens by accident when a referee doesn't turn up to a game and you're asked to officiate it because you're just a bystander at the pitch and you might, you might know the rules. So recruitment of referees is extremely difficult. And it is a, a difficult pathway to navigate to get from maybe an underage referee or a minor level referee onto the, 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 the panel, we'll say, at, at senior club, uh, onto a, a provincial panel and onto an All-Ireland panel. And it's very difficult and it's time-consuming and, and it involves an awful lot of waiting. And unlike being a player, if you're a good minor player or a good under-21 player, you have a straight uh, pathway into the senior county team. If you're a good minor referee or a good under-21 age referee, it takes you a long time to get to senior club within your own county, even longer to get onto a provincial panel, and even further longer to get into an All-Ireland panel. And and that, that because that's just the way the pathway works. So what you end up doing is having good referees in their, in their early 20s who never get near an All-Ireland panel until their mid-30s. And that can be extremely frustrating, a long waiting process. And of course, there's fall-off then 
uh, we have a problem with retention because of the, the length of time it takes to, 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 to uh, travel that pathway and get to the top. And, and that can be extremely frustrating. But the recruitment thing is, is, is really difficult. We see in most counties now at the moment struggle to get um, referees in to do the, the referee a course at the beginning of the year and no games I'm, I'm aware that not many games are falling by the wayside but that's not because we have a huge volume of referees it's that we have a dedicated core of referees in most counties that are going out two, three, four nights a week to, to officiate but the GA is going to have a problem going forward if they don't tackle the respect level and the recruitment level of, of, of match officials I'm conscious that you both uh, are uh, particularly with you David the noise going on in the background there you've stuff to get to so um, one last one for me just on the Roscommon I don't know were you with us at the, the start David but just to recap uh, from Roscommon this morning where the games there for the weekend have been postponed as uh, referees have decided to take a step back as events from the other night um, unfold and investigations continue can you understand that mindset um, I that's the first I've heard of it um, and it would take me back to um the events of the Dublin Schoolboys League that happened earlier on this year and it's unfortunate that it has come to this I would um, say that I understand the referees in Roscommon's viewpoint on this but also I would hope that they would allow due course to take place allow Roscommon County Board um, to uh, follow up with their investigation and make their report and, and, and let that follow through um, I, I wouldn't like to see an overly big knee-jerk reaction to this it is one incident it is being dealt with and I would hope that those referees will go back to refereeing as soon as, 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 as they they're happy with, with, with what Roscommon County Board are doing. Yeah, meeting between referees and board officials held last night and games to be postponed this weekend. That's the way it's uh, been worded there. David, we'll let you off. Thanks, William. Thanks very much, guys. Good Cheers. morning. Martin, your thoughts on that? Yeah, look at it. Uh, it's a massive uh, show of solidarity solidarity um, with the referees in Roscommon, you know, and I'm sure it didn't happen without dialogue between uh, the, the referees board and, and, and uh, the Roscommon County board and if they felt that that was the right thing to do um, well I'm sure that they've gone with it and I suppose things are a bit raw in Roscommon at the moment you, you know you can imagine what it would be like to be a referee in Roscommon this morning I can only imagine mm-hmm. um, and, and, and I'm sure things are quite raw down there and, and maybe I suppose more so than it being um, I, I suppose a, a fallout I think it's maybe a, a, th- a chance for them to you know, control all delete and and just take a step back and and you know draw a breath from what's after happening because of of you know it, a lot of the referees in Roscommon would be personal friends with that man and and I think more so than it being um, I suppose something to get a, a reaction um, it may just be the right thing to do and just take a break you know and just say okay we'll come back at it again in, in two in two weeks time yeah and we wish him obviously a full recovery as well which is something I should have said much earlier uh, which is the important part of all of this. Listen, we really appreciate it. We thought it was an important conversation to have and we appreciate you dropping into us. Perfect, lads. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Martin McAnally there and uh, David Goff as well on the line. It's just got nine o'clock. You're watching uh, OTBM. We're with you until ten. We have the uh, former Westmeath, now former Westmeath manager, uh, Jack Cooney, standing by. He's going to join us in just a couple of moments' time. Uh, Reminded, by the way, the Premier League is back, so we've teamed up with one of Europe's largest sports events, uh, ticketing and hospitality companies, their Champions Travel, to give you the opportunity to win a €250 Euro Champions Travel voucher each day this week and they can be used on Premier League match trips as well as a host of other sporting events. Daily winners are also entered into our grand prize draw where one lucky winner is going to win a trip from a selection of Premier League games with flights and two nights accommodation included. It's pretty sweet. And to enter, just tell us this man who's bragging to his friends as he lists the sides that he once beat all in one sitting. 
Bolton at home, Spurs away, Manchester United away, Burnley, Liverpool, City. You can tweet us, he doesn't need to say it. It's literally like one syllable of what he says, and everybody knows who it is. You can tweet us your guess uh, on our main Twitter account, which is at Off the Ball. We're going to be back after the break with the first ever Talton Cup winning manager, Jack Cooney, on his new role at Croke Park as the National Player Development uh, Lead following his departure as the West, uh, Westmeath uh, football manager. And David Connolly, who was on last, night, last night's show, talking about the impact of uh, new Manchester United signing Anthony that he can have on the club. We're back after these. One transfer that has obviously gone through today, as expected, is Anthony has confirmed uh, that deal. So I'm just thinking there tonight, like may, maybe it's a bit early for Alanga in terms of like starting lineup, and you know he does kind of fit nicely in there, doesn't he, in, in that position with Sancho and, yeah. and Rashford? Suddenly that front three looks a little bit more vital, I suppose. Yeah, and I guess, look, what are we looking at? We're probably looking at highlights. Everyone looks at the same sort of bits and pieces from Anthony. And you don't want to draw comparisons, but when they signed Ronaldo, you know, everyone thought he was a bit of a, you know, a step-over merchant or a skill merchant and then, you know, doubted his end product. Well, Anthony looks like that from the clips, right? I mean, we just don't know how he's going to develop. He's only 22 or whatever. He's probably a little bit older than Ronaldo was when he first went to United. But nonetheless, I just, it's, it's got kind of reminds me of that where they're signing someone who, you know, looks really, really talented, very skillful, tries the audacious, looks really confident. And that's the sort of play they need. Someone who, who basically will, will, will have the balls to go and play at Old Trafford and not mind if he makes a mistake and has got that confidence, you know? So many players got at United and, you know, Dan James springs to mind and he says, uh, I went to United as one player and in the end, you know, I stopped being the player that got me there. Well, I, I don't think Anthony's going to be like that. He looks a really confident lad, believes in himself, very skillful. And and like Ronaldo was, I think, first time around. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see, right? I mean, mm. we just don't know. But I think not just ability, it's the personality and the character to play at United because, you know, it, it, it demands so much of you, not just your, your ability, but, you know, get, receiving the ball when maybe things aren't going your way. And Anthony looks like he's got that confidence no matter what. And that full chat with David Connolly, you can check out any of our uh, podcast feeds and it's up on YouTube as well. And uh, just a reminder as well about uh, the breaking news story this morning from Roscommon that all of this weekend's uh, Roscommon Football Championship games are uh, set to be postponed, uh, reports Willow Callahan and others after referees in the county opted to go on strike. Uh, until Sunday midnight following the incident uh, during the week which I'm sure everybody is uh, very familiar with at this stage uh, in the under-17 match in Ballyforn St Dominic's and their crockery up against St Aidan's of Ballyforn on Wednesday night and uh, the video clip has been doing the rounds I'm sure you've seen it by now and um, doesn't show exactly what happened and we do need the full facts to be established and for that we need the uh, spectators and the coaches and the players and everybody who saw what happened to speak up and let the facts be known no time for Omerta now let's the facts get out there let them be known let them be spread far and wide and let's send out the uh, the correct message out of this and when the facts are known and if if there is a physical altercation 
It's up to Crow Park, uh, as we've been discussing over the last little while, to take the fullest of actions. And, uh, and that's the real support. Uh, you know, we hope the referee involved makes a full uh, recovery. That's the sort of support that he needs. And uh, it's really outrageous, as, as Martin and David have been outlining, that a referee goes out to take charge of an under-17 game and, uh, and it ends up the way it did. So we'll continue to follow and uh, report on developments in that. It is five past nine. You're watching OTPAM. We're with you until ten this morning. And delighted to say that the Talton Cup winning manager, former West Westmeath manager Jack Cooney is on the line. Morning, Jack. Morning, lads. How are you? Good. Former Westmeath manager. Pains me a little bit. How does it sound to you? Oh, very painful. <laughs> um, very painful, but very, very thankful for the four great years I had there. And uh, my my previous involvement over the, the years before that as well. So, but look at that. I'm not I'm not going anywhere either. I'm still going to be working towards the future of Westmead and and really looking forward to that. Yeah, like in one way, it's an unbelievable way to bow out. Like it's the most successful year since 2004. But in another way, what a wrench! Given I I know you talk about obviously all the way back to to your playing days, but particularly over the last five years. Yeah, we had. Um, yeah, we had some great, great times. We we had a great, great bond and a great environment, and that was that was kind of um, really evident after we won the Talton Cup this year. So I guess there's really no good time to leave, um, but you know when a, an opportunity presents itself like it did, it's very very difficult to turn it down. And you know, uh, secondary to. My love and passion for Westmead football, I, I also love coaching and this is a really, really good opportunity to develop myself personally and hopefully bring it back into the realms of, of Westmead down the line. Um, you touch on, on the culture that was there and I certainly interested during the year, uh, during the year listening to your chats with Jerry Russell and with the, the wider press indeed about your relationship with the players and the culture and the community that you want to uh, to instil there. You came across as... Um, very thoughtful in terms of, in terms of supporting the player group. Was that a big mantra for you over the last five years? I think what was what, what from the get go. One of the important things that I wanted to get across was um, the whole the, our, our collective responsibility to try and drive Westmead forward. You know that 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 was first and foremost one of our motivations and and, and always something that we work towards. So. Like we, players and coaches and managers come and go, but Westmead will always be there. So I wanted to have something that that both everybody that's involved in the group can leave something after them and leave it in a better place. And I know that's probably a little bit cliched at the moment, but it's it's very very important. And I I always said from my own personal perspective, I wouldn't judge myself on what I achieved or what this group achieved within the three or four years that we were there, but maybe six or seven years after we've left. And I think I'd be more interested in that than, than what we've achieved, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Jack, you talk about your, your, your love and interest in, in player development. There's probably not many more things you can do for player development than maybe win a trophy for a county that, that doesn't win trophies too often. Like, I still remember Monaghan winning a, a Division 2 league title years ago and a Pacific reception in Monaghan Town. Like, we all saw the scenes in Mullingar after the, the Tottenham Cup success this year. Like, is the hope that I- incidents like that and, and moments like that can, can help inspire the next generation of footballers in your county? Well, I think it's important to know that like, the top counties have experiences like that they provide experiences like that to their supporters um, much more often 
in, in counties like Westmead who are working very, very hard to develop it, to raise the standards, to connect with the younger supporters and younger players. We need something every generation or every now and again. Like 2015 was probably the last big thing. I know the guys got to, the lads got to two Leinster finals, but beating, beating Mead for the first time ever, that was, that meant an awful lot to Westmead. This year we won the Talton Cup. 2004 we won the Leinster. We had success with underage for probably 10 years prior to that. Um, and all of these things are just very, very important for fueling motivation and passion and commitment from the next generation of footballers coming through. And I just felt, look, I, I think while it's always great to win a championship match, you know, and in terms of the Talton Cup, it's extra special winning a championship match in Crow Park. And then to put them back to back is extra special. And then not only that, you have a younger generation of supporters in Westmead who travel to Crow Park, experience a great day, and then see Kevin Maguire lift a piece of silverware. So hopefully that'll be etched in their memory and that'll drive them forward and, you know, maybe play the game a wee bit more and maybe um, be a little bit more determined to go out and represent their club and go on and represent their county. Just talking about that uh, piece around, like exactly that point, leaving Westmead sort of football in a better position six, seven uh, years down the line. Where do you trace that philosophy, if that's not too lofty a phrase for back to? Um, like I've, I've, I've been um, influenced and touched by so many great coaches that I've experienced over my career. Um, but I've also, I really understand what the GA is all about, you know, that community, that's, you know, that identity, the parochialism and so on. It's a very, very important part of it. Uh, and Westmead just got into my, it just got into my blood, you know, as a young kid and as a young player. And I've always, I've always wanted Westmead to do well, you know, and there's many, many ways of doing that. Winning is one way, but I think, setting realistic targets is another thing but I think in, you know just being really really good role models um, is very very important for our lads to show good example and influence the younger generation of players coming through because you know that's very very important to me Sorry, Adrian. Like, just just that word parochial that you mentioned there, Jack. Like, uh, it adds a different element to it. When I guess when you're a, a local manager, I think Brian Murta was maybe the last Westmeath man to manage West uh, to manage the county back in '92. Before yourself, of course. Like, does that does that add a different element to it? I know a lot of counties at the minute who are looking for managers or trying to think whether the the right idea is to go outside the county or or from within. Like, did that when you when you first took over? And I guess we can get nostalgic about your time in charge now. But did that add an extra layer of pressure? Because everyone in the county knows you, of course. Um, I guess how I would how I would re- reply to that. It's very very difficult looking at your own situation, but what I would certainly say this year we brought in we we had Cotton Mullen involved previously, and Cotton was involved with us again this year. Then we brought in Desi and John Cain this year, and I could get the sense of talking to the players how much it meant to the players to have Westmead people driving it on and you know involved in in the management and the coaching aspect of it and that's when I really got a sense of what it meant to the players um before that I probably wasn't even though I I, I worked hard and I wanted to get more Westmead people involved um hopefully then that will filter its way down because 
you know, it becomes a systematic approach then. You know, you start developing your own coaching philosophy within the county. You start developing your own coaches. There's a pathway there for them. Um, so this, this year, I'd say, just going back to your question, this year was probably the first year I realised by talking to the players how important it was for them to have the likes of Cahal, John Kane and Desi involved. Mm. I'm funny for, for all that, uh, Jack. I have to say, from listening to you over the last few minutes, there's huge shades of what Paddy would have spoken about, like the, you know, punching the tree is, you know, that's like trying, you know, trying to punch a Westmead man or whatever, and the, the Alan Mangan, famous Alan, Alan Mangan uh, speech about no Westmead man and the loaf of bread and all that stuff. Like, there's definite influences of that, it seems to me, in you. Yes, yes. And like, look, I spent two years with Pawdy and it was remarkable. It was a magical, magical time. And, and what a great coach and a great Shanaki and storyteller and fantastic motivator. And I certainly listened a lot more than I spoke in those couple of years, I can tell you that. Um, but it's amazing, even the current bunch of lads, how much 2004 meant to them as young, as young, younger people, younger persons, young supporters. Uh, and they always refer back to that, you know, and how much that helped them and how much that inspired them. And all we're doing in our little patch in Westmead is just trying to do really, really good housekeeping, try to ensure that we're competitive down the line and just commit to that process and commit to that kind of longevity of Westmead. If we can consistently compete at a higher level or at the next level and we're pushing and pushing for that I think that should that should uh, raise the standards throughout the county because the clubs are putting in huge work they're developing a line of players coming through there's a great love of the game in Westmead and uh, we, we're just very very happy that we can represent that even Jack, like we're speaking about the start of the show this morning about Dunny counties like Donegal and Monaghan maybe struggling to find an, an intercounty manager at the moment. Like as someone who who's been in that position uh, for the last number of years, and obviously there's the intense scrutiny on social media and stuff, and things aren't going as well as they should be. Uh, like, can you understand why why some people would be reluctant to step into intercounty management now that you're looking from the outside in? Um, like it is demanding there's no doubt about that it is demanding um, but you need to know what you're getting into you know maybe look at to me I never really put pressure on winning anything never really put pressure on myself I'll be honest never really put pressure on the players but I felt there's a process that you need to get through about making sure players are happy make sure players feel that they're challenged make sure that they are um, getting something out of it and not just giving all the time um, and getting something out of it, their reward, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a cup. You know, it's it, it's a it's a symbol uh, for sure of their hard work. But I think it's very, very important that they're continuously enjoying it. And and um, how they enjoy it is true. You know, it's a, it's a great lifestyle. You know, they're, they're fit all the time. They eat well. They, they rest well, they recover well. It's a great bunch of competitive athletes to be involved with. You're dealing with very, very good coaches, trying to improve you personally and as a footballer and an athlete. So it's a, it's a fantastic environment to be in. Um, but in some cases, in some counties, there's more pressure on delivering results and winning. 
in Westmead, I never felt that. You know, I don't think the players felt that. I try to insulate them from it. And we try to just be better every week. So I guess it just depends how you interpret what, what the demands and what the expectations are. Can I ask you a couple of ones just on, on the football side of things, Jack? First of all, on the journey this year, and um, particularly for me, the 20 minutes against Longford where it was a slow start and suddenly Westmead turned up and killed the game and looked, they were play- looked like they were playing at a level that if they played for that, like that for, uh, against any of the top teams for a prolonged period that they'd, they'd put it up to them. Did you know that that was... Was that, a, was that a moment for you where the petty kind of dropped or did you know, listen, there's something... Did you know long before that there's something brewing here? Yeah, you know, even in, in a season and even even within a game, you're searching for form and you're searching for a, for something to click or you're search, searching for something to just drop. I think when you go from, you'll certainly carry a bit of form um, from competition to competition. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of it is just really trusting the players, you know, and the players believing that they have the work done. It was a disappointment for us not to get promoted from Division 3. We had opportunities. But in hindsight, if we had got promoted, we wouldn't have experienced what we experienced with the Talton Cup. Mm. Um, we ran Kildare close to three points. Um, they were well-deserved vi- uh, victors on the day. We were we were second best for sure. And uh, They beat us by three points. If we had brought that to three points with on the 65th, 66th minute, it would have been an interesting last 10 minutes. Mm. And if we had won that, we wouldn't have been able to enter the Talton Cup. So, I don't know. Sometimes things are just met out. Are just They just happen for a reason. And uh, I think in hindsight, you know, what we experienced with the Talton Cup as a result of the performances we put in prior to that, I don't think, you know, maybe getting a moral victory or a moral defeat in, in a in a Leinster final or maybe a, a qualifier down the line, it definitely wouldn't have, have delivered what we experienced travelling home after winning the Talton Cup. No, there's a real, and I've sat through the deflation about getting the excitement about getting to a Leinster final and everybody knows what's coming down the turnpike and it's yeah. it's a hard one to deal with. And we've actually chatted to Andy McEntee not that long ago in studio here shortly after his time at Meath came to an end and Billy O'Loughlin of Longford as well about the value of the Leinster Championship. What's your, as a team who've, I mean, I, I don't know if anybody come close to putting it up to Dublin over the last while, but certainly contested plenty of Leinster finals against them over the last number of years. What's your view on the value or otherwise of the Leinster Championship? What I what I, what I'd say to you on that is like when when the the new proposals came out for the championship earlier in the season, like we I asked the players what 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 was their thoughts, uh, and they really really value a provincial title. They would love to win a Leinster championship, and they want to win a Leinster championship. You know, it's it rates very very highly on on um, their their bucket list or or what they'd like their list. Of, I'm surprised list to hear that in, in in some ways, yeah. Jack. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. And, you know, when we had the green and the blue proposals for the new championship structure, you know, the lads, hand, to a man, they want to go after a provincial championship. It really means a lot to them. It's They value it very, very highly. And then what comes after that comes after that. Even and though it's it's nearly an impossible task. I mean, I know you're not going to discuss that internally. When it comes up, you're not going to say, listen, forget about that. But it's it's fairly much an impossible task. Yeah, but I look at I think... Um, Every county just has to work harder, and I've said this over over the years. Every county has to be in a long-term plan to compete with Dublin. Dublin have brought the game to an unbelievable level. 
you know, and I know uh, Kerry have won championship this year and they've brought it to it. It just, the standards, the quality of play, the quality of the player is just increasing year on year. And I think what Dublin have done for the game, you know, as a whole and in Leinster, they've just raised the standards so much. And you can see counties now are getting, they're putting in strategic structures to compete with Dublin in the long term. And I think that's only better for the game. I know uh, a lot of the talk in Westmeath now, Jack, is going to be around your uh, potential successor. It's the same in my own county in Monaghan. But uh, and look, the two lads you mentioned, John Cain and, and Desi Dolan, certainly will be will be among those names mentioned. Is this going to be a an Alex Ferguson scenario where you get to give your blessing to your to your successor? Oh yes, absolutely. Because um, look at um, there's a great bunch of lads, great bunch of players there. There's a lovely blend of experienced and younger players learning their trade. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. The days are gone now where you bring in a young fella and you, you put him straight in. There, there's a development process that they must come through prior to stepping into that arena. And even when they're in that arena, there's a development process. So, um, look, Westmead is going to be in, is, is going to be in very, very good hands. The boys down on the county boards, they know exactly. Uh, where where the lads are at, where the team is at, and what stage they're at, and what what's their next step, what's required. So I have full faith and full trust in in the process and who's going to be appointed. I don't know who's going to be appointed. <laughs> They'll have my full backing. But like I said, I'd hope to contribute to the future of Westmead in some shape or form, so that that um, that we get more days in Crow Park. It'd be good to have that consistency, wouldn't it? Of the the two lads known, sort of like building on the momentum. It seems like a really obvious choice, rather than I know there's been plenty of names touted, but that continuity from a successful team feels to be somewhat important. Yeah, yeah. Like um, there's a lot of things there. With, with you know, if you even take the group of players, I guess if you want to call it that psychological safety of of they they know they know the lads, they know the routine they know the standards and so on and so forth and it would be great to continue that on um, and maybe with a couple of additions here there I don't know so um, yeah that would be fantastic and I and I think as, as we alluded to earlier the fact that the players were so buoyed by Westmead people being involved in the setup, I think you know you can't ignore that I think that's that's an important ingredient yeah, well, listen, uh, well done on 2022 and, and, and the years that preceded it and best of luck with the new gig. Thanks, William, for jumping on. Thanks very much, lads. Take care. Thanks a lot. Former Westmeath manager Jack Cooney on the line there. Uh, Philip Beatty has been in touch, said the Monaghan bus depot is one of the most depressing places in the country. You're probably not wrong. Is that you, fair enough? You have, to get, you have to leave the bus depot and go into the town. But yeah, as, as, as bus stations go, it's, um, it's right up there with the most grim. It does, it's, it's not the best picture of, of the town. It's a lovely town apart from that, Adrian, I have to say. Really? Yeah, gorgeous. Is it Johnny, Johnny Ward was up recently and he oh, was raving about it since. Oh. He, uh, he really loved his time up there and he didn't have quite, quite have time to go for a pint with myself in the Squealing Pig or Terry's Bar but uh, it's a quality town I might be slightly biased and I'm not getting paid by the Monon Board to say this but yeah 
Love a bit of Monaghan for me, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I love a bit. Of, I mean, I think we reach peak Hannon right here. For me, I as towns go, yeah, yeah. As towns go. As towns go. Right, OTVM at twenty-five past nine of this Friday morning is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's up uh, coming up on OTB Sports Radio over the course of today. We've got the football kickoff live with Ger, Phil, and David Myler today. That's from half past eleven, and then one is Catherine Switzer on OTB Gold, Matt Rushmore, Monaghan. At mm-hmm. three o'clock today, the bus depot will not feature, I'm told. <laughs> Owen Heary, uh, Shelburne legend, is in the hot seat for the Team 33 Legends interview today. Uh, ought to be gold with Ronnie Delaney, and you can tune in as well uh, this afternoon for our first ever Happy Quiz. Happy Quiz. It's, it's The Happy Quiz, is that official? Right. Not the crappy quiz anymore. It's called the happy quiz, I'm told. And uh, regular Friday listeners are in for an additional treat with John Giles live on the line to discuss this week's Premier League action. I'm sure looking ahead to the weekend as well. You can follow off the ball across the social channel, subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the very latest in uh, the best sports content and analysis. But we are not done there. We're back after these. Phil Egan himself live in studio for a very special deadline day recap edition of Deal or No Deal. I signed for them after the Euros and after my first day's training I was driving home I was actually thinking regretting it what have I done I like got walked into a circus it's amazing isn't it it's the last ever for now uh, deal or no deal and I need to start with a plea Phil Egan has admitted in the ads that he will take free tickets for Garth Brooks if they're going <laughs> ah, no. I did I didn't the come con- on now Phil no but let the conversation went about we were talking about how great Monaghan is yeah. right because Shane had Naturally. been talking about it and then he was talking about the festival that was there the blues festival and we were this talking weekend, about yeah, the yeah. attire and would it be similar to what you'd see at a Garth Brooks concert and then we obviously pinned Shane as definitely someone who would queue up for tickets for Garth Brooks Defamation. and then Incorrect. the conversation went would you go I was like, if somebody gave me a couple of tickets I would go we're both on the same page here Phil you'd take free tickets that's that's what I'm saying if anybody wants to get in touch <laughs> phil.egan at com. hit him up he's, he's your man when is he playing is it next week when is it I don't even know nobody knows he's Shane knows he's got be his diary right it's de- deal or no deal just call deal today because yeah. this is only stuff that's happened it's shut thank god Liverpool um, have got their man Slam shut. Slam shut last night at eleven o'clock. The Liverpool have temporarily got their man to get him a bit longer term down the line. Yeah, actually, there is an option to buy, but I'd be very surprised if they do take that up because they'd have to pay nearly forty million. But yeah, it's uh, Artur Mello. Artur Mello. It, it kind of came out of nowhere yesterday, and this is the thing: people say, "Is it a good deal?" But we don't know. We don't have a crystal ball. How much game time is he going to get? What we do know is that there's a very good player in there somewhere who had performed well for Barcelona at times, went to Juventus, didn't have a great time. So now you're looking at Liverpool. They are short in midfield. They've obviously got... They'll have a few players coming back soon enough, but I still think that they need to... like That midfield needs a serious revamp. So... This is the, this is the thing, though, Phil. You, you say they're short in midfield, like, and I know Klopp said that after the, the United game, but there seems to be rumours and talk within Liverpool that some people within the club maybe didn't feel that they needed a new signing in midfield I know Thiago's obviously close to coming back maybe yeah but he's got an injury record where he picks up knocks I mean look at the the Champions League final you know remember the rumours before the game that he wasn't wasn't going to play he had to he was a late withdrawal for the, the League Cup final there's like two finals where 
one that he doesn't make, one that he just about makes. And it's very hard to, to build with, with a player like that. When he plays, I think he's sensational. But when he's not there, then there's a drop-off in quality, which we've seen so far this season. Mm. Obama Yang is back in the Premier League. Um, he's gone to Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel is one of those managers uh, under a little bit of heat at the minute. Is this the man to save him, Phil? Well, he is under a lot of heat because he spent the most in the, the Premier League transfer window, the most in history as well. And obviously, 250 million quid. Yeah, like, like, you know, watching Chelsea the other night against Southampton, watching them against Leeds, what had made them so good, and obviously they won the Champions League under Tuchel, was they're so hard to beat. But they don't really play with any patterns in attack where you kind of know what they're about. They just have some really good players that will score your goals because they have quality. But... Aubameyang is the player that maybe can put those chances away. Sterling has obviously chipped in with a few goals, but mm. he is not what you would call a prolific goal scorer. And I don't mean, maybe prolific is the wrong word, because he has had seasons at City where he's been prolific, such as the position he got himself into. But put it this way, if he's going through one-on-one, do you think he's going to score all the time? No. Mm. Whereas like when I see someone like Harry Kane going through, I'm thinking, just turn away. He's pretty much nailed on to score is he risky though is like in in terms of attitude here yeah yeah well Tuchel would be hoping he can tap into what worked with them at Dortmund where he was prolific and uh, like they do have other options in attack but they haven't really had what you would call um, a top top striker I Where, heard uh, the, the lads on BT making some similar point last night about yeah. uh, have, have all the signings. Do you feel Chelsea are in a better position after spelling 250 million quid? And you sort of have to say, hmm. Well, see, Rudiger was a loss. Now they've brought in Fofana and Koulibaly is obviously there as well. Koulibaly got sent off against Leeds, has had a few rocky moments, but he's, he's only adapting to a new system, new league. Fofana, we know how good he is, you know, is... His career kind of was put on hold for a bit because of that serious injury. But you would imagine that will make them better at the back. Midfield will be a worry for them, though, because they just they were played through quite easy against Leeds. Same with Southampton. And you just wonder, did um, Will Tuchel's speech after the game about not being tough enough, what kind of impact will that make over the next few weeks? But, um, yeah, th- th- certainly is pressure on them anyway. I'm skipping Everton and I'm going straight to the main man. Um, are Benrek and Dundonk are going to save Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa bacon? I, I don't think they will. I've seen Villa a few times. i watched them against Everton this season. And it was the weekend, there was a heat wave. I watched the first half and I thought, like, there's, the sun is shining out there, I need to get out there. Because <laughs> that first half was so dreadful. And then the other night against Arsenal. Like, Arsenal are playing really well at the moment. Villa were awful. It's very hard to make a case for Gerrard being the kind of manager that players have run through a wall for after watching that game. But look, we know how things can change very quickly. I mentioned Arsenal like this time last season. Everyone was thinking Arteta was gone. He turned them around. But I don't know if I have the same confidence in Gerrard being able to do that with Villa. Certainly doesn't have the same quality of players that Arteta had and has now. And the last one we want to ask about is Billy Gilmore gone to Brighton. He hadn't been given a squad number at Chelsea and, I mean, for a player who I remember Pat Nevin all that long ago yeah. raving about him and it looked like justifiably so from the performance he was putting in. He has totally slipped off the radar um, at Chelsea and he's gone now to Brighton for 10 million quid. Why didn't it work out for him by way of will it work out for him at Brighton? Because 
clubs like Chelsea Lampard obviously gave him his run and that was one thing Lampard did whether you think Lampard was good at Chelsea or not he obviously was forced to play youngsters Tammy Abraham was another and Mason Mount as well because they had the, the transfer ban at the time and Gilmore was one of these players you think back to the, the FA Cup tie against Liverpool who was brilliant even think back to the Euros last summer for yeah. Scotland against England, England yeah. he was excellent and it just it's very hard to make it at a big club I mean because we've mentioned how much pressure Thomas Tuchel is under he can't be waiting for Billy Gilmore to develop he wants to finish article already the great thing about Brighton and Graham Potter is he'll be given time and kind of goes into the conversation about is Graham Potter good enough to manage one of the big clubs in the Premier League and the thing is if he did he wouldn't get the same time that he has at Brighton to kind of put a stamp on things because at those top clubs they expect results instantly look what happened after a couple of defeats for Ten Hag like there was actually people thinking it's done already yeah, <laughs> they've won their next three games I'm not saying he's going to turn out to be a success but the fine margins of the very elite level Brighton obviously have been performing so well but I think it is a good move for them because they do play a nice brand of football as well something we talk about when we're talking about transfers sometimes it baffles you that players go to a club where it's not going to suit the way they play but with Brighton you're encouraged to get on the ball that suits Billy Gilmore so hopefully it does work out for him because there is a very talented player there is some lovely stuff across all the back pages today. We can never give you a full flavour of uh, It's Our Dream, uh, Irish Daily Mail, The Sun, Ireland win 1-0 on ag. The ag thing, uh, I'm not really aware of it. There we go. I'm not really having that something to do with aggregate. It's like you're just shoring that in for no reason. <laughs> so it's not happening. The Irish Times, uh, lovely photograph, Katie McCabe there, and the Irish Independent as well. Some of the red tops uh, not with it as their main splash, which is a bit of a question mark. But, Phil Egan, you were out there last night. I mean, nervy stuff. yeah. yeah. As expected, though, because whatever about how Ireland performed, like Finland are a good team. I know people have said they lost all their games at the Euros, but take into account that two of those games were against Germany and Spain. Would we beat Germany or Spain? Mm. I don't think so. Um, so I know they, they got rid of their manager and yeah. we beat them in Helsinki, but it was always going to be a close game. And I think what's really encouraging is we didn't play to the best of our ability but we've become very hard to beat now under Vera Pau and that was even taking Nifahi out of the team and Megan Connolly went into the back three again like she did in the, the game against Sweden away from home but yeah I, I would be encouraged by that and it just takes a bit of pressure off for Tuesday I, yeah. I think it was the, the approach last night was don't lose like don't yeah. like it's in your hands even if you didn't play well and you drew at Finland you're still a point ahead going into the final round of games and we have the, the easier fixture. I, I would fancy Sweden to beat Finland, but we don't have to worry about that now. I know you're caught on, I think Ian Dempsey had up on his Instagram yeah. a lovely photo you're caught on, on TV at the game last night. Like We were speaking earlier about the, the empty seats and I know it's still a record, a record attendance, but was the atmosphere good considering all the empty seats? Yeah, like I, it took a while to get going because Finland started quite well. I think that what can happen is those tickets went on sale a good while ago but the tickets some of them are five euro a pop mm. so people mm. would think it's only five euro I'll buy as many as I can yeah. and then it Not comes around them, to the game and they see it as I'm only losing out on a fiver it was a lovely evening in Tallinn mm. like I, I arrived 
to the stadium in my t-shirt <laughs> and people were looking like my I met my sister and my nieces and they were like why are you just wearing a t-shirt like, yeah, it's but warm you'll be having the guns yeah, out guns in, in the yeah, middle yeah. of November you'll be like right at home on the new, uh, the, the, the terraces <laughs> at St James's Park with the, the t-shirt off Phil Egan yeah, no. giving so it the big one I, I then obviously had my, my hoodie but I didn't have to zip it up it was a lovely evening perfect conditions I actually had the, the seats were right down on the front row beside where all the Irish players were warming up so I could see when Lily Ag got the nod to say you're coming on. Right. And what an impact she made. But also as well, just after the game was brilliant. The scenes where the players walked around the pitch, they did their lap of honour after they'd been in the huddle and Katie McCabe had some words with them and they all got their their standing ovation from the crowd. And then all the kids, like I've been going to these games for the last couple of years and you kind of just seen how it's growing. Mm. And now like you had all these kids around that area trying to get like pictures with the players but then I saw one girl behind me with her mum in tears really what's happened she had Katie McCabe's jersey she was overwhelmed by the fact that she had got Katie McCabe's jersey so like this group of players obviously are getting results on the pitch but what they're doing off the pitch as well is just it's great news for the women's game in Irish football because it's just going to get bigger and bigger it is getting bigger and bigger, but it's inspiring the next generation as well. Where, like I, I'm there, pitch side, but you, all the people around, all the the young girls that are around there, they know all these players. Like the, yes. the players are warming up, mm. and they're shouting at them. Can I get your jersey after the game? <laughs> I wouldn't mind your boots. <laughs> Getting in there early. A lot of work to do yet, to, because we know how convoluted the playoff system is. But um, yeah. look, if you if you don't have a ticket for the the raffle. Correct. The the, uh, the uh, good luck anti Katie sign at the end had me. Uh, I was a chief wobble at that point. I was uh, I was ready for action. Just the bit with the, the kid crying with the jersey. I was kind of like, oh, that's too much. It's too much. Yeah. yeah. Phil, come on, that's deal. I signed for them after the Euros. And after my first day's training, I was driving home. I was actually thinking, regretting it. What have I done? I like I walked into a circus. It's amazing, isn't it? OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With exfoliating bar 